0: We go. Hello, hello again. Good evening, and thank you for. Co- yes, Buffy, I'm saying hello. Thank you, everyone, for coming by another Merged Worlds Dungeons and Dragons story stream. This is episode 15. Um, that's a lot. <laughs> uh, considering these things average two hours or more a piece, we are at over 30 hours worth of story at this point. And still not even halfway through. So um, thank you all very much for coming by and checking out the stream and listening to the story. Uh, if you've been here before and been keeping up with the story, you know we've covered a lot. Um, I will do a minor recap from where we left off last time before we get into this one. But we'll kind of chat for a moment and give folks a moment to show up. Um, let's see. What have we got to chat about? So, um, yes. So the... I want to begin by saying the Merged Worlds Audio podcast on iTunes, the last couple episodes are no longer up there. Um, I am having to work on that since I upgraded to the new computer a couple of weeks ago. Um, The program that I used to edit and upload those is not working as well with the new computer. I need actually, I need something better. So um, I am working on that. I apologize. I will have the back episodes up on iTunes as soon as possible. Uh, Beast, hello there. And Teresa, official A- in your final class. Kick ass. Congratulations. Teresa, our resident smart lady, has uh, just finished her master's, I believe it was, in uh, criminal justice, which is pretty boss. She takes great pleasure in uh, when I die on screen, so she'll be perfect in the (laughs) role. Remember... Don't arrest me. All right. So, all right. So, today, Merge World. I'm excited because, you know, the very end of the last episode, we started getting into the book. The book. This is important because, as I've mentioned many times, everything up until this point, all the documentation, the paperwork, the character sheets, the maps, Everything I had was destroyed when a basement flooded. And so everything I've been doing has been pretty much off memory. Um, some of the stuff, like characters' names, I had them jotted down in, in later paperwork. Um, so I was able to go ahead and get those. But all the story stuff has been pretty much from memory. And there's been a couple of times I've had to go back and make some minor corrections because I remembered it wrong or forgot to mention something that happened. Uh, but now we're finally into the part where I actually have documentation, which means that moving forward, we very likely will actually see more um, actual maps and uh, maybe designs of magic items, things a bit more specific in nature with the D&D side of the story, Um, as well as um, I will get to start giving some actual snippets of story that were written down to give the characters when we played this, so you'll be hearing it the same way they heard it, at the time that we played it, which to me is exciting to be able to let you kind of have that same experience they did. Um, but where we ended last week or last time, two weeks ago, uh, now I can try to arrest you. I appreciate that. Don't just don't don't kick me out of the country. I don't need that kind of drama in my life. <laughs> so uh, where we left off, our noble heroes had returned from adventuring abroad. Um, had returned with uh, some dragon body parts, which was nice, and uh, made the mage tower very happy with them. Uh, Darsh uh, and and friends, Darsh, Dandy, Mercy, and Artemis, had returned home only to find out that there was some type of war or battle or something that was going on in the kingdom to the west named Thorman. And Thorman was on the other side of a very steep mountain range. And other than traveling very, very far north and around, which could take weeks, if not a month, to travel, the only other way to really reach Thorman was by sea. And they are technically one of the closest kingdoms to Paxiwal, our primary city where adventurers live and are adventuring out of currently. Um, the mountain range keeps them very physically separate, except for trade by boat. Uh, but some major type of battle war thing was going down over there, and Paxawal was now being involved. Uh, they learned through rumors and stories that the military of Paxawal was uh, creating large, or er, building and reinforcing their defenses from the west, which again, surprising because there's a mountain range there. Nobody should, should normally just come walking out of the mountain range. And of course, by sea. So, I would like to say for everyone, if you were here last time, um, there was a specific type of enemy that was attacking Thormin And I'm forgetting if I told you what that was. I'm thinking I did. So if you were here last time and I, I mentioned what type of enemy was attacking, please tell me that I told you that in the chat <laughs> while I talk about a couple other things. Uh, we also were introducing a couple other Guess you could almost call them side quests, but uh, some additional characters were introduced um, while hanging out in the Minotaur area of the marketplace, uh, where the tradesmen and merchants from the kingdom of Kronaar, which is the Minotaur Islands, was. Uh, Darsh was pleasantly surprised to find his cousin Rokar, uh, who is second in command of a Kronaar ship. Um, uh, no other of Darsh's family. Uh, is in Kronear, but his cousin is, his cousin Rokar, so he was very uh, happy to learn that he has some family here, uh, which definitely not only does that make you feel good, you got family, you got somebody you know, but it also um, could be a link between him and Kronear, a place he's not yet visited, uh, but I've talked about it enough, I'm sure you see that coming eventually. He also learned from Rokar that um, there is a group within the Minotaur Kingdom, Um, you could call them evil if you would. But there's a group who disagree with the Minotaur emperor's treating of the lesser races, aka humans and elves and such, and feels that they should just come in, attack, and take over these lands instead of opening trade. The emperor, being more political than that, understands that they're vastly outnumbered and trade is needed. But this small group, known as the Black Horn, are um, infiltrating different parts of uh, the Minotaur Society, and at one h- was currently wanted, um, named Craig, uh, K R A A G, not Craig, C R A I G, uh, Craig, K R A A G, and he is uh, uh, wanted for trying to poison and assassinate the Emperor, which is two problems. First of all, you know, you're an assassin. That's that's bad. We don't like that. But number two. Um, in a society for Minotaur's, which is all based on honor and honor combat, and assassination is very often viewed as the lowest form of thing. There's no honor in that. So this Minotaur is wanted, and it's possible that he may be somewhere hiding within the human lands at this point. So it's kind of a all points bulletin out to find him, uh, wanted, dead or alive, preferably alive, but you know, dead's fine too. By Cronyar and the Emperor. So. That was a cool thing for Darsh, meeting up with some of them. And then Dandy, our Kender Rogue, uh, received an official invitation into the Thieves' Guild, where she met Galen One-Eye. And he's a human with one eye. He's got an eye patch. Uh, he, very inviting, very friendly to Dandy. Dandy realizing him being very schmoozy. But, you know, she's, she's a Kender, and she's very innocent in many ways, but she's not an idiot realized very carefully that he wanted something, and he was quite vocal that that was true. You know, he was quite open about it. He wanted to open an open relationship and invite her as part of the guild, because uh, he understands the worth of her and her friends. Um, and that there's ways that it would definitely benefit him to have her as part of the guild. Um, at the same time, to maintain his leadership, he can't just say, hey, you're, you're in. There are protocols mostly that he designed himself, and so she had to kind of earn her way in. So he basically let her know that there was a halfling that had stolen a very valuable personal gem of his and was hiding somewhere within the city, Uh, hidden very well, so much that his people haven't quite found him. But he is questing, or he is, I'm sorry, uh, quested her with returning that gem, halfling optional. If she wants to return the halfling, he'll take care of it. But should something happen to the halfling in the middle of that, he's okay with it. So, um, that's where that part kind of left off. Dandy accepted that, said okay. Um, but he warned and she agreed. She's not going to tell anyone, even her friends, about the Thieves Guild because that's to be honest. That's Thieves' Guild business. Dandy likes a good secret just like everyone else. Now, whether or not she'll accidentally let it out in the future is another thing. But at this point, she has no intention of warning them what it is. So nobody put in chat whether or not I told you what the thing was that they were dealing with. So I'm going to assume that I did not. And I'm going to recap on that. So, and if I did tell you this, it's a refresh basically the party learns from Sister Mara, the uh, head cleric of healing at the temple of Paxiwal that King Thorman is under siege, if you will from a large force of undead that are coming from the east. Think about that. Here we have Paxual, right? right? is in the city on a coast along the south and then to the west great big mountain range on the side of that mountain range is Thorman. well the undead are coming from the Paxiwal side there's no undead on the Paxiwal side so they're coming somewhere from the mountain range or something between the mountain range and the kingdom of Thormen is where the undead are coming from and they at first tried to deal with it themselves they didn't want you know Proud Kingdom didn't want to ask for help, uh, but we're very quickly being overrun. At this point, Thorman has reached out to both Paxwall and Arduel, and even Cronear for assistance with this situation. Now, our party learns that Paxwall is going to be sending large amount of military aid to assist Thorman, a because that's what good neighbors do, b because to be honest, uh, if they don't. Who's to say that they're not eventually going to make their way over to Paxiwal? Because somehow, technically, the undead are coming from between Paxiwal and Thorman, And they need to figure out why as well. Because if they're marching that way, they could be coming out of the mountains towards Paxiwal. Which is why they're defending towards what normally would be the one side that's best defended. By natural resources. And then the other option is they've been trying to get hardcore, stable partnerships and treaties with Thorman. There are trade treaties at this point. But as Kingdoms go, there's not like hardcore, hey, we're ally treaties. And backing them up would be a great way to probably finally win them over into that. So uh, Paxiwal is definitely gathering the folks to do so. Um, The party has been invited by the leadership of Paxwall to also be involved. While this doesn't have anything to do with the gems or the stones, right now our characters have no idea where the next gem or stone is. They've used up all the four prophecies or visions that Brother Bartholomew was given very early on. And they have all those stones. They're kind of at a standstill. So, um, again, helping Thorman helps them as well because it's a whole other group of people who might know something about the stones or another resource to try to find something about the stones. So, And they're just good people. So they're like, yeah, we'll help out. So it's going to be a little while before they leave. Several ships of soldiers are already being sent over, um, but the ship that they're going to go on is going to leave in about four days' time. So they've got about four days from everything I just talked about. The day Darsh meets Rokar and Dandy meets One-Eye all happened around the same day. On the same day, but around the same time period. And from that point, there are four days before they're going to leave. So that's kind of our timeline. Um, Darsh ordered a special shield be made from some of the dragon hide that they'd got. The shield will not be ready before they leave, so that's something he's going to get later. Sorry I'm stopping for all the drinks. I feel a little dehydrated today. But, um, he's going to have to go without that. But they are building, getting, gathering their supplies, and all the stuff is normal. Um... They are also sworn to secrecy, not to talk about the undead. While well, many of the military and the leaders of Paxwall are aware of it, they don't want to panic. Caused everybody running away from Paxwall. It's just good business sense. But at the same time, Paxwell may at this point not be under any threat. And the last thing they want is people running away, only to run into the arms of some type of undead force, literally feeding them, as well as providing them more undead soldiers. So they're trying to keep it on the down low. All they know is that all that, all even the soldiers are being told is that they're going there. An enemy is attacking a neighboring country and they have signed up to go and assist. So and there's a good pay bump. Paxwell pays well for their military. So it's, just, it's not really any of as a, any type of conscription. They're, they're all volunteer. So Darsh, Artemis, Mercy pretty much going about their regular lives at this point, preparing. For uh, the trip, stockpiling supplies, getting information back and forth between the temple and the mage tower, any information that they get are being passed to the characters because in in many ways um, Artemis has been tapped by Sister Mara to be the representative of the church. They were going; they're sending over other clerics as well, but Artemis has been asked to help lead that group, which is very important. I mean, that's, a, that's for someone who's not in officially of the temple. Um, that's a lot of responsibility to be given. And while she's not the head cleric going over, there's going to be someone from the temple who clearly is. She is basically going to be placed in a second of command position of the clerical forces. Uh, and that's not just the gods of healing. That's the clerical forces. That's the gods, gods, uh, heal, clerics of light, healing, clerics of war, um, clerics of nature, any clerics that are going... She's going to have some of them more, more technically senior than her. Um, but at the same time, her experience out in the world and dealing with stuff, much, much more beyond. Say, <laughs> Thank you very much, Shadowcast, for joining the ODG membership. Now, for those of you who don't know... Shadow Cass is one of my very best friends and the person who designs all of the art for the channel, such as the Merge World t shirt and all the merchandise you find on the ODG store on OnlyDraven.com, as well as uh, any of the channel art, the symbols, the, the ODG symbol, all of the emojis. All of that stuff is done by Shadow. And we, she actually came over and hung out for a little bit today and that was pretty boss and i appreciate you joining up for the membership i do believe that she's been greatly inspired by the fact that i said that when every time we get a new member i take a shot both her and her fiance uh were very intrigued by that found that very interesting and i'm a man of my word i still owe five more shots to the channel specifically But we're going to do one right now real quick for Shadow to get the ball rolling correctly. So thank you very much, Shadow, for joining the membership program. I appreciate that and you joining along. Shadow and to Draven's Dragons. Hmm. Ah. Much better. If asked, um... We could if I knew how to do that. Um... I will have to get with Gus when I when I chat with him next. I apologize. He said that. I'm not sure how to do that. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we can. I apologize. If anyone is being muted or message removed by the bot right now, that's the bot being picky. You're not doing anything wrong that I'm aware of. So I apologize. You may just have to wait a couple seconds before you post again. For some reason, it thinks people are double and triple posting and spamming. So totally not you. You're fine. <laughs> Sometimes when you post the same thing or the same... uh Emoji multiple times, the bot reads it incorrectly and thinks that you're just spamming the same thing over and over again. It's a way of stopping spam. You're fine. I apologize. We will do some tweaks on that. But um, yes, for right now, I am doing uh, by choice Fireball, uh, is what I'm quaffing uh, because I was a big Gold fan and just recently thought I'd try Fireball whiskey and I like it better, surprisingly. So, very, very cool. So, uh, yeah, one wrap. Yeah, um, when you posted something, Beast, and when you did, it just popped up on our end as mods, pops up as message deleted. So something didn't uh, something didn't go through that you posted right after Shadow joined. So I apologize again that that happens once in a while. It's like I said, not anything you're really doing wrong. Especially those of you who are members and subscribers been here a long time. You're not doing anything wrong. The bots just being picky, and we gotta tweak it a little bit. Um, but it is there because we have had a few issues in the past. Some of you remember uh, where people were putting some stuff in chat, which was not acceptable. So we're just trying to get that streamlined and set up correctly. There may be a little growing pains in the meantime. So, uh, But thank you again very much, Shadow, for joining up with the membership program and helping me quaff a little bit of Fireball. So um, to continue with the story, uh, so they're doing that stuff, getting the message. Artemis is going to be a... Um, liaison as part of this. And this, um, when asked if she would accept this responsibility, which of course she did, this um, also ingrains her as part of the temple. At this point now, from this moment, she is now officially affiliated with this temple. She's not working for them, she's not enslaved and whatever she can leave anytime she wants, but she is Partnered with them, if you will, which um, allows her some additional perks and such as a cleric, um, but also gives her some additional responsibilities when it comes to the temple, such as training others, assisting, and in times of need, you know, having their back. So uh, it is it is a two double-edged sword: extra perks, but extra responsibilities. But Artemis, uh, who has not been a member of a of a temple in a very long time, remember she's elf, she old. Um, She's happy to kind of have a bit of a, a, bit of a semblance of a home life, of an actual temple life. Even though she lives with the other party and the, the rest of the party in their house, she spends a lot of her free time at the temple, just doing templey things, praying, being involved in the groups, assisting with teaching, lots of things of that nature. So she's going to have a little bit of a leadership role, bumbling over into this adventure into Thorman. And Darsh mostly keeps staying in touch with the Minotaur folks um, and you know, checking on status. And he's doing a lot of the actual shopping along with Mercy, making sure their weapons are taken care of. they got the food and stuff they need. Mercy and him take care of all that kind of stuff. And Danny just kind of runs off and does her own stuff. So nobody's really noticing when she's disappearing an awful lot at night because she's known to do that. Dandy gets curious, disappears, there's been times where she hasn't come back for a couple days. And they worry, but they know it's in her nature and they just kind of have to trust her to stay as safe as possible as a Kender can. But in this situation, she's not just out gallivanting around and exploring. She is searching for something specific. She is looking for the Halfling. Um, She has been avidly searching and speaking and questing talking to other rogues, finding out what she can about him, his habits, uh, where he used to stay things, um, taking hints and clues from that to go find people he was uh, friends or allied with or partnered with at one point. And when we actually were playing this out, it was much more of a mystery. There were clues, there were people that she had to speak to that had specific pieces of information that could be revealed if the right questions were asked or the right actions were taken, which sometimes could be sliding a coin and sometimes could be breaking a finger, but um, Danny does what needs to get done. She's more on the slide-a-coin thing, or or worse, offer to hang out at your house more often and all your stuff go missing, but she manages to get the stuff done. And after two nights, the end of the second night, she finds what she believes is the location of the halfling. She also learns of a ship that will be leaving for the kingdom of Arduel, which uh, some of you remember is a kingdom to the east where King Christopher was. One of the first kingdoms in this adventure where the party helped um, free Prince Christopher from the dungeons. He, his kingdom had been taken over by an evil mage thing. They defeated him. Prince Christopher became King Christopher. So they're very allied. That is a kingdom that is currently allied with Paxwell. Uh And Mystique says, hi, hi. Well, welcome, welcome. Thanks for coming by. So there's a ship leaving in a couple of days, and it is rumored, at least from what she's able to find out, that a certain ha- that a halfling under a different name has booked passage out of the city. So she believes this halfling is just trying to stay hidden until he can get out of the city, knowing that One Eye has basically a warrant out for him in the guild. The halfling is playing it very, very dangerous, but very close. This gem is worth a fortune. Dandy finds out it's a huge diamond and uh, definitely could set someone up for the rest of their lives. So um, it would make sense that he would want to try to get out of the city with it, of course, if he can. So, Dandy, being the rebellious, finds the house. Basically, it's a uh, it's an apartment built above a butcher shop. uh, Very close to the market market square. uh, Just off it on um, Craftsman's Row. So in Paxowall, there's a big open market space. It's kind of in the uh, corner of the kingdom. It's built, it's very much up against the wall of Paxiwal. Um Around the outer edge of that are permanent stores and stalls and shops, which are usually broken into sections a dwarven section, an elven section, a halfling section, a minotaur section, where you would go to that section to get that type of goods, even though within that section may be completely different companies or different merchants. Um, different stands, the races kind of stay together in those areas when they're selling that good. Now that's not to say that you won't find a dwarf in the major main market square. That's people who could be a dwarf craftsman who who lives in Paxwell or lives somewhere else and is coming in himself. Just because he's a dwarf doesn't mean he has to go to dwarf section. Usually dwarf section means that's where Dwarven Kingdom's merchants all would be specifically. Although there's no Dwarven Kingdom per se, there is a dwarf contingency or continued group there, uh, but they, they've not claimed any specific kingdom. They're just basically a, a large merchant's group. So nobody, nobody knows really where they come from. Uh, the Minotaur section, Kronar, has a section, but there may be the odd rare Minotaur that's not affiliated with Kronar that does some type of weaponsmithing or blacksmithing. Now, on the outskirts, like I said, that's in the corner. One row off of that is a row of permanent stores and shops. And across the street from that is another. So another L-shaped road, if you will. It's actually a crossroad and goes off. But in that shape, that's known as Merchant's Row. That's where you're going to find a lot of the permanent craftsmen who isn't just a booth. Uh, So you may find butchers, things of that nature. Um, Furniture makers, seamstress, so on and so forth. Cobblers. But Dandy learns that there's, a, in one little kind of poor section of that area, there's a, a butcher who, you know... He's not like a famous butcher or anything. He's a regular butcher, but he sells decent meat. But there's a, a cup, he lives in a building behind it, but there's a small apartment above it that has been mostly just been storage for years. And Dandy gets a clue that the halfling has been known once in the past from one of old associates that she had to convince slightly more violently than normal that they had once holed up there before uh, a job, if you will or a heist that they were going to do. That he'd used that butcher before. Searching it else, Dandy was able to find that things have been delivered by the butcher and such to that apartment that are not like normal stock. So Dandy has got enough clues to believe that the halfling is inside of that apartment above the butcher shop. So she scoped it out during the day as much as she could, went home, took a nap, and now that it is dark, on the third night, so... Tomorrow night, they sleep. The morning after that, they go to Thorman. The uh, that night, she decides that's when she's going to go in and actually try to go inside. Because Dandy's goal is to get the diamond back. That's her main thing. Um, yeah. hold on a second? <laughs> <laughs> Could have foreseen that. Thank you very much, Zero Cool, for joining up. <laughs> to the ODG membership program. Now, as some of you probably do not know, Mr. Zero Cool is in a relationship with Miss Shadowcast. <laughs> so, again, discussing that I take a shot each time we have a new member sign up. He more than her was intrigued by the concept. <laughs> And so thank you very much as well, Mr. Cool, for signing up for the ODG membership today. I drastically appreciate it. And as a side note, folks, we have unlocked um, additional emojis for the channel, by the way. Um, And Miss Shadow is currently working on some new emojis uh, usable by the members. So if you're watching and you're not a member, the ODG membership, if you click join on on the YouTube channel anywhere... Um, it'll show you all the perks that come with a membership. Uh, it's, it's a monthly cost, but you get a bunch of perks, including joining up with the... Uh, we have a Sky Factory 4 server you can play on and a bunch of other stuff. Um, but, yeah, lots of, lots of stuff there. So, uh, <laughs> Mr. Cool, uh, this one is for you, sir. Thank you very much uh, for joining us. Oh man. I apologize again you're getting you're getting dinged by the nightbot. I'm I'm at the point I think we're gonna turn off Nightbot because I'm right at this point it's annoying me more than helping me. One moment. Whew. Mm. Fireball. Ugh. Which in itself is a magic spell. now that I think about it. Only fitting.. Whew. So again, yes, thank you very much for joining up today and we have some new emojis that will be coming out hopefully here in the next week or so. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what they are yet because we're still kind of in the planning phase. But uh, I'm excited to be able to get some more amazing emojis for you folks. And Zero, if your your stuff was blanked out there again, I apologize for that. I don't know how to turn off that bot or else I would. Um, But once I figure it out, I promise I will. Uh, Give me one second here. Give me one second. and a quick message here. All right. I spelled that way wrong, but I'm trying to reach over four things to get to it. Um, So, yes, again, I apologize for all of that stuff. I apologize. We'll get the Nightbot thing sorted out, I promise. Okay. (laughs) Hack the planet, indeed. All right, so... uh, Ah, so we are uh, Dandy, mm, Sneaky Dandy. She's been watching the um, Butcher Shop for several hours. Um, she, when she left the house, she did leave with the disguise. Dandy does do that time and again. And most commonly, depending on the situation, she dresses as a child. Uh, Kender being very small, uh, she can play a small elven child very easily. Um and uh she can even a human child can be okay if she dirties herself up and wears raggedy clothes, which is what she does and she just kind of puts herself as just like a, a begging child in the street corner kind of thing and she uh, kind of hangs out there doing that stuff. So she spends a couple hours just doing that, blending in very well as only dandy can do. Uh, but eventually darkness comes, things, City streets uh, slow down. Uh, in this part of the city, around Market Square, the, the city never totally sleeps there. It's, there's always some activity. And that's a that's a thing about Paxwell. Paxwell's not a city that goes quiet. It's a major city. It's the largest of all of these, the southern cities as they're known. Thorman, Arduel, um, Paxwell, and even Krone are. Paxwell is by far the largest of all of them. So... Um, And it's the main central trade hub of all of them as well because of that. Which, of course, only causes it to grow even bigger. All these new kingdoms that didn't exist before the merge, now all trading through them. So after a time, Dandy realizes, okay, things have quieted down enough. This section of town is relatively quiet. Few people once in a while bumbling from store to store. But as most of the stores are closed, um, there are a couple small bars and inns not far from here. People wandering to the bars and inns, back and forth to homes and such. And to the inn, uh, there is still some traffic. So she's still very careful. And she eventually makes her way across the street, staying in the shadows, till she gets to the base of the butcher shop. Now, Dandy is checking it out, knows that there's multiple windows in the facility up top. But they've all been boarded closed. And they have been for many years, because it became a storage place and not really a living space. There's one door accessible from the outside on the back. But to get to that, normally you'd have to go through the butcher's apartment on the back, come up on his roof, and use the stairs to get in there. So Dandy's going to have to scale the building to get inside. Um, Or she has to try to sneak through the butcher's apartment, which he lives alone, but, you know, she doesn't really want to mess with that. Plus, he smells so bad. He just, he smells so bad. Dandy does not like the smell of the butcher shop. She's got dirt and grime all over from the street on her and she still smells better than the butcher in the butcher shop. So, uh, again, no hate for butchers out there, if any of you happen to be a butcher. <laughs> uh, but uh, she decides she's going to scale the wall. And Dandy's climbing ability is second to none. She scales it almost as quickly as you would just walk upstairs. She makes it without incident. She still has her hoop pack. Um She was, had it uh, hidden in this alley earlier in the morning. She'd left it there hidden in the trash overnight. Because, again, the hoopack would give away who she is as a human child. Uh, so she had it hidden. She was able to dig it out in some of her supplies. She'd hidden in some trash uh, in the alley the night before. And she uses that to climb up. So she has her hoop back, She has all of her gear. But she's still kind of loosely dressed in the the, the, the robes and such, the dirty cl- beggar's clothing she was wearing. Um, she makes it to the roof. Not a problem at all. And as she approaches the roof and she's about to step on the roof, she stops most people would not have noticed the tripwire, especially in the darkness that's in this area. Dandy's infravision only helps a small bit in this area. But more importantly than seeing the tripwire, Dandy stops because that's immediately where she would put a tripwire. And assuming that the halfling has stayed long, long as, alive, as long, <laughs> alive as long as he has, two shots very quickly, Uh <laughs> He has to have at least a little bit of skill here. So after just a little bit of looking, sure enough, she finds the tripwire. Dandy then waits a few moments, making sure that no noise she's made has set anything off. She then begins looking again, because there's one thing that Pappy taught her: it's that when you find a trap, make sure that trap is not trapped. And that's a dandy. That's a dandy quote. That's something that's important to Dandy. So Dandy waits, refreshes, takes a breather, and then starts again. And sure enough. Right after the tripwire, anyone cutting the tripwire would set off a secondary trap. So Dandy sets herself up on disarming the second trap first, which she successfully does, at which point taking apart the tripwire itself, not hard at all. The tripwire being a trap itself was more of a trap for the secondary trap, which would have been much more dangerous. Dandy can see that it would have set off, not, so much, not only was it a poison trap, but it would have been off set off an alarm of some nature that would have notified that somebody was trying to sneak up there. Danny expected traps. Finding... Oh, real quick. Cheese uh, says, Hey, somebody tell everyone I'm sorry, Nightbot. Bug with the emojis where it would time you out. Shouldn't do that anymore. Have a good time. So, hey, thank you, Gus. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. All right. Good deal. All right, so looks like we've got that all fixed. Thank you, Gus. Gus is one of my moderators. Cheese boy. Um, and he is the one that really handles that mod stuff. So he is the man when it comes to that. Thank you very much, Gus. I really appreciate you looking into that for us. So sweet. Two new members. Dandy just took apart some traps. And I've already had two shots of fireball today. Yay. (laughs) Let's break in. Let's find us a halfling. So. Finding a trap upon a trap helps Dandy know the skill level of this halfling. She'd already heard stories and rumors from people she talked about. Sure enough... The rumor that he was Galen's one-eyes favorite break-in artist. So not a second-in-command by any means, but one that he used very frequently. You're not going to get that. Thieves Guild, head of Thieves Guild, is not going to use you that regularly unless he knows he could trust you. Obviously, he couldn't trust him. He robbed him. But trust your skills, and in that he could. Which means Danny knows that she's against somebody in this situation who's very skillful. trying to decide whether she wants to go... There's only one door in. Dandy decides instead... she's going to take the route of the chimney. Now, she has to assume the chimney is trapped. Who wouldn't trap the chimney? There's two ways in. Any small rogue is going to go through the chimney. But the door is just too obvious. And there's just too many different ways that could go wrong for Dandy. And again, I'm, I'm recounting this purely from what actually happened that night. I set up the building. I set up where the traps were dandy gave me her plan she did the reconnaissance she told me what she wanted to do so dandy decides she's going to go in the chimney disarming the one trap at the base of the chimney which she found successfully before she even began to climb it the chimney itself not much higher than the roof it was only probably an additional four feet which is still taller than really than her she scales it up and then she carefully starts making her way down there's a low heat coming from the chimney so she knows that a fire has been lit in there recently But she also knows that there was not any smoke coming from it during the day. So it means it had to have been sometime after nightfall. Again, at this point, it's about 1 o'clock in the morning. She waited a while before she went in. She makes her way down, and Dandy, grappling, goes down head first. She's lowering herself down the rope, which she's hooked at the top of the grappling hook. She's going head first, checking for traps continuously. She finds one halfway down, and then she finds a cross trap, which is like Two trip wires that cross each other, but not exactly on an x-axis. They're on an angle in such a way that you're more likely to see the one, and by again trying to go around the one, the second one's more hidden. I do I do a lot of research on traps and actual feasible traps when I build these things. Um, so I've done probably hours of reading of different types of booby traps used in not only medieval world, but just even in some of the current stuff, but usable with more real easy uh, MacGyver type kind of easy to get a hold of things. So uh, a lot of the traps that I put in a regular type dungeon feasibly could be built um, in one form or another. Uh, Magical traps, of course, those are magical. I just do those off the top of my head. But real traps, I try to base them on some form of realism. So um, anybody has... Any specific questions about how traps like this would be set up, such as with these hinges, wheels, things of that nature, maybe you're a dungeon master who would like to use something like this in your own adventure, please let me know. You can put in the comments or come to the uh, Discord channel, Only Dreaming Gaming Discord, shoot me a message on there. I'm happy to share some of the behind-the-scenes technical aspects of anybody who wants to know about that stuff. But there's a lot involved in it. I'm not going to bore everybody here with it right now. Enough so that she's able to disarm the trap. So... Very, very slowly, she lowers it so just her eyes can see outside the chimney. She has she wears a top knot. She has not want her hair hanging down, so her top knot is currently tied to a loose bow on the back of her shirt. Um, she could very easily, if somebody was to grab it and pull on it, the bow would come out. It's not going to be like a handle someone could use against her. The topknot itself is already a crutch in a melee combat, but she doesn't want it flying around setting off traps. So she does have it uh, loosely bowed to the back of her shirt. And she hangs down and looking in the room, she waits a moment or two, allowing her eyes to fully adjust to the new darkness of the room because there's no light in this room. The only light is a very, very low uh, glow from the embers directly beneath her head where a very small fire was lit. It wasn't lit for very long. It didn't get very hot. Probably just enough to cook some form of food or warm up some type of tea or stew. But it definitely was not long. The halflings being careful not to let people know that there's anybody up here. A, with the light from a fire. B, from the smoke in the chimney. I need another drink. So, I spilled some. Looking around the room... Danny sees that the layout is mostly a storage layout. There's crates and boxes covered in blankets and sheets against most of the walls. Um, the door visible on the other side of the room. There's a clean space between her. She also sees that there's a small rug in front of the fireplace, some chairs, a small table that does have some dishes on it where someone has eaten there. Uh, the bowl is giving off the slightest, slightest bit of light or in her situation, heat, because of improvision. So something warm was in that bowl recently, or there may be a little bit left in there. On the opposite side of the room, she can see a bedroll. She can see a shape of someone small in the bedroll. Just asleep. Now Dandy is no fool, and immediately starts searching around the room for the halfling. He has hidden himself incredibly well. But he actually has a small sleeping behind some of the crates closer to the door. It takes a while for her to find just that tiniest bit of warmth in the crack of the crates. Uh, Thank you, Kilkin Kalizo, for the follow. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. So, looking through the crates, she sees just a little bit of warmth. Something alive is between those crates. Now, she can only assume the halfling is asleep. She has to. The halfling has to sleep. Now, if it was her, he'd sleep in shifts. Some hours be up, some hours be up. Because nighttime is the most common time to try to break in. She assumes he's going to be up for part of the night. So is he asleep or not? She doesn't know. But halflings also have infravision. This, this is a situation she knew was going to be the problem. As soon as she makes herself in the room, there's a good chance as quiet as she is, if he's awake and looking, he may notice her. Setting apart the fact that she, how many traps are between her and him. So, Dandy does as Dandy do. Dandy very quietly pulls herself back up outside of the chimney, making her way quietly across the ceiling, or the, the roof. Dandy takes a rope, some large pieces of rock or something she finds up there, trash or whatever, ties it to the end of it, certain she ties it to the roof. And she does her very best to time this, But basically what she did is she pushes the rock off, which causes it to fall down, hit the rope, and then bang. And she does this so that it starts banging against the door. Now there's a little bit of overlap. She asked me this. Was it a flat railing? I said, no, there's a bit of an eave. So it's going to bang against the door several times. As soon as she pushes it, she bolts the opposite direction to get to the chimney again. And by the time she reaches the top of the chimney, because again, it's not a very big space, she hears the banging of it hitting the door. The rope she used is still in the chimney. She slides down it as quickly as possible. And she can hear continuous banging. Again, it's bang, then a little bit quieter, then a little bit quieter. But what she expected would happen. She's sliding down the rope upside down. She has gloves on so it doesn't burn her hands. But as she reaches the bottom, sure enough... She sees the halfling has moved from outside or from behind the crates to now where he has a crossbow silently pointed at the door. Dandy has to make a decision. How do I take this halfling out? He's armed. He's still a short distance away. She chooses to try to take him out in a non-permanent way. Dandy still is a person who doesn't like to kill. Halflings naturally don't. Sometimes they will. They understand it needs to be done in a battle against goblins and orcs and such, but a halfling's a little bit too close to a to a kender for her to just kill someone if she doesn't have to. And while she understands the fate that's going to reach him when he gets to Galen, she would rather put that in Galen's hands than in her own. So Dandy throws a knife. Dandy has very good skill throwing knives. She's a knife ranged fighter. She can fight melee. She doesn't get much bonuses with that, but with ranged, she has a lot because that's always been her focus. More of a ranged fighter. For melee, she uses her hoop pack. but ranged, she prefers daggers. And she had several magical daggers at this point. And again, I've mentioned before, I don't go into a lot of the specifics of the daggers... ...unless it's important, or of the the magic items they have. And in this situation, it is. She has a dagger of flame. Which means that the dagger, when removed from the sheath... ...catches fire. Now, this is not a magical dagger in the sense that the fire is magical. It is a magical dagger, plus whatever. But the science behind it is... It inside of the sheath it's sealed and inside is like a lamp oil and as you pull it out it strikes a flint on there and it sparks it and the oil lights on fire so it's not like a magical fire that will never go out but it is a, a magical dagger that has been put in the situation it's actually the sheath that's more of the magical nature for the flame stuff that's what gives it any knife you put in there can have this ability very cool thing A friend of mine designed it many, many years ago, and I still like to use it in adventures. But as he slides it out, it strikes the match. You only get one without dipping it again. It's not going to go long, but it's enough for her to throw it as hard as she can. And she doesn't throw it at the halfling. She throws it at the crate next to him. But as she lights it, she immediately closes her eyes and tosses it. The halfling not expecting it. Now here's a flaming dagger sticks in the crate right next to him. While that's startling enough instantly a light source has been brought into the room which just messes with your infravision. And suddenly he has—he knows someone's behind him and he's trying to get his vision to adjust back. It doesn't take long for vision to go from infravision to normal vision. It takes longer to go the other direction. Regular vision to infravision takes longer. The Normal vision is very quick but in that short tiny bit of time Dandy hits the ground running. And by the time he adjusts and brings the crossbow around and sees the threat, she's in melee range and manages to use her hoopak to knock the crossbow away. The halfling, definitely caught surprised by all of this, is still skilled at what he does. And he himself manages to get out of the range of any next swing, and he himself pulls two daggers. Dandy knows he's a knife fighter. She knew that getting up close to him was going to be a danger, but it's a lot harder to take someone alive at range without using some type of poison darts or something of that nature. And Dandy's skill at using her hoopak as a blow dart gun, not that high. It's not something she really put a lot of points into, per se. And again, trying to blow a blow dart gun after you just came out of a ceiling, thats out of a chimney, that's that's not going to a big, long... I mean, the hoopak's still this long. You know, it's, it's a long stick. It's not just going to right up there and you're going to hit. There's too many negatives, she didn't want to chance it. So she felt melee was her best route. So Dandy gets into a fight with him. Now I can get into the specifics, but... Dandy's overmatched melee-wise... Very, very quickly. He's much more skilled at combat... With the knives than she is with her hoop pack. But Dandy is incredibly dexterous. Her Her dexterity scores through the roof. That's where she put everything in. And so... He, even, even though he's better skilled... she can't get, he can't get an actual hit in on her... for almost anything. She's just too good at dodging. So they get very much into a stalemate. It's at that point... that Dandy... starts to get bored with the situation. And there's nothing more dangerous... than a bored kender. And the young lady who played the character... Very tender, like in nature. When she starts getting bored in combat, she starts doing crazy things. It's one reason why she played Dandy so well. She took the rest of the... She took that sheath that she still had hitched to her. Right? I told you it had that. You dip it in they have a little bit more oil left in it. And she just tosses it onto the embers in the fireplace. Now, still a bit of decent bit of oil in there, and now there's no knife keeping it firming out. The oil comes out immediately. In fact, some of it starts to come out as it's tossed, and the flames not only whoosh, in the fireplace, but they spread very quickly partly into the room where the little bits of oil had dripped. So a blast of fire, definitely the halfling dodges as soon as she throws something, because he thinks he's throwing it at her, but then it goes the opposite direction, and whoosh, fire. Whoosh. Catches him by surprise, enough so that Dandy is able to get in and get a good hit on him. At that point, she she clearly was going for the legs. She injured his knee, that slowed him down. The combat from that point became very uneasy. He had a negative to movement, and with her increased speed, it didn't take long for her to successfully knock him unconscious over the head with, his hoop, with her hoop pack. He took a big beating, and Dandy took several good hits herself. She has several cuts and slashes that she knows she's going to have to hide from her friends. Normally, she would go to... Artemis and ask for healing, but she doesn't want any questions, so she's just going to bandage those herself with what minimal skill she has. She a little bit. She's been hanging out with Artemis. She knows a little bit. She manages to knock the halfling unconscious. It takes her another 30 minutes of searching and disarming traps to finally find the hidden space uh, behind the table where the gem was hidden. Sure enough, it's a big diamond. It's a king's ransom in Diamond. It's very expensive. And she's very excited. She's very happy. She's like, yay, I managed to catch him unconscious. He, try, he almost woke up once, so she had to thwock him again. But she thwocks him once in a while when he starts with him. She's like, now I just have to get him back to Galen. Easy enough. She knows that there's just a block or so up the road. There's an entrance into the sewer. And in the sewers, there's enough markings to get her to where she needs to go to get him back to Galen. But how to get him to the sewers... This was something she wasn't sure about of the layout. So, what she did, I kid you not, is she rolled the halfling up in that rug in front of the fireplace and then proceeded to drag the rug outside down the stairs, hitting his head on every stair. Then, the nine foot drop to the alley, she aimed for the trash, threw him, he landed hurt him but he's still alive and then dragged him the rug. She, at this point she took her rug off. She's just a Kendra dragging a rug. You don't mess with a Kendra dragging a rug. There's too many questions there that you don't want answers to. And she's just dragging a rug down the street. And what few people see her this late at night just walk away. But it takes her a little while and sure enough she manages to get down in the sewers. She finally comes across other rogues and when she explains who she has in the rug they let her through. When she arrives at the underground entrance that she's led to, which is a different spot than the last one, Galen moves around. One eye. we just going to keep on with one eye, it's easier. One eye moves around as a good rogue should. She gets to the new one. You, she can tell that he was just woken up. He was asleep. But he's immediately aware as soon as he's told that Dandy's coming with a gift he was intrigued. So he's awake, but he's not quite as kept as he normally would be. With hair and stuff all done up. His eye patches on. He's dressed and stuff. His weapons are all on. So he looks as fancy as he did the time before. But he's a little disheveled in the hair. He could tell that she was just woken. But she comes in and she's, he's like, Dandy. I'm honestly surprised. I, I I didn't think you'd find him this quickly. Dandy goes into a tale of oh, well, you know, it was a little hard. I had to talk to this person. I did and normally... When Kendra starts rambling into a story with an inane amount of details and side stories that are unneeded, they get tired, they tell him to stop talking, One Eye gives her every single bit of his attention. 100%. Nodding when he should? I see. Really? Adding those type of comments. But he's always, always, in every interaction he has with Dandy, always gives her complete respect and his full attention. And that's one thing that Dandy really likes about him. Doesn't interrupt her. Let's tell the cool story and all the fun stuff that happened. Finally, you know, as they're getting to the end, he's like, and "Did did you find the diamond?" She's like, "Oh yeah, the diamond." She digs around and pouches and sure enough, pulls out this huge diamond wrapped in a cloth, setting it on the table. It's wrapped. Galen has no doubt. One eye. He takes it. and just sets it in, inside a drawer in the in the little desk that he's sitting at. Doesn't even open it. Trusts her completely. And then he looks at the rug. He's in there. Dandy, a little bit of sadness, a little bit of distress on her face, said, Yeah, I didn't kill him. I know he stole your stuff, but it, I just, I couldn't kill him. I know you probably will. I wish you wouldn't. But I know how rules work, and you got to keep the law, and blah, 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 blah. blah. And I wasn't going to let him go, because then he'd have to do the law on me, and then you and I would have problems, and I don't need that kind of drama in my life. And then Darsh would have to kill you, and then it would just be messy, and I don't want that to happen. Because Darsh is my very best friend, you probably know that. One eye gets a little bit of a smile, and he goes, I understand. He goes, I'll tell you what. Because you asked, I won't kill him. You understand, I do have to make an example of him. There will be punishment. But for you, I won't kill him. And thank you very much, Hat Alabasta, for the follow today. I appreciate that. Danny gets a big smile. Really? You won't kill him? For me? For you, the newest member of our guild. Danny claps and, yay, wow, this worked out great for everybody then. She hears a bit of a moaning and groan come from inside the carpet, and she's like, whoop, I think that's my cue. i got to get back to the house. And she stands up, she winces a bit, and he's like, what happened? He goes, I got cut a little bit. It'll be okay. He goes, well, you live with a healer. And she goes, no, I'm not going to tell Artemis. She'll ask too many questions. He goes, understandable. He reaches into a, a de- into the desk again and pulls out a flask. He goes, this potion should heal you up perfectly fine. Be careful, though. It's very potent. Dandy takes it and smiles and says, thank you, I appreciate that, I will use this. And puts it in her pouch. Fully understanding she is not going to use that until she figures out what it is. Because <laughs> right now she likes and she trusts one eye, but she's also not stupid. So Dandy's like, yay, thank you, I'll use that later. And then heads on out, skipping out of the room, stopping by the, by the carpet and shaking her head one more time, like, you are not going to have a good day after this. And then makes her way back home. So at this point, Dandy is now... Accepted as an open and honored member of the Thieves' Guild of Paxiwal that also, much like Artemis' situation, gives her perks within the city and within their network, but also comes with additional responsibilities. In situations like the halfling, if, the, if one eye puts out in all points, hey, this person needs to be found or taken out or this needs to be dealt with as a member in standing, she would have to act upon that and she knows that. She also has to keep the secrets of the guild. There's maybe times where someone she knows in the guild may be wanted by the authorities, maybe even by her friends. She's stuck in the middle. She has to make those decisions at that time. But most of the time, she's able to do so. But in this situation, things are well for her now. Responsibilities, but perks. Biggest perk being knowledge. He has now said he's going to do everything he can to help try to find the stones that her and her friends are looking for. At this point he says he doesn't want them she worries about that a little bit but they need all the help they can get in that regard and thieves guild have resources nobody else does she returns home rests decides not to use the potion the wounds aren't too bad she's able to stitch them kind of herself she makes her way to the temple a little bit later in the day to a miscellaneous clearing says oh hey I accidentally cut myself while packing some swords in a box for The army with the war and her lie, not very convincing. But the cleric to Kendra, what are you gonna do? They know her, and so one of the clerics, is like, Oh, here, let me to help you. And they and the temple heals her. She goes, Please don't tell Artemis, she'll be mad that I was helping with the swords. And they say, Okay, well, that's fine, you're good, we won't do that. She gets a little bit of healing for the one that was a little bit deeper. She took one big gash on her just on her stomach area, the other one she kind of leaves as is. He, magic healing heals all around, and that day goes by. She packs up her goods and her stuff, so on. Now, each of the characters, over the next time period, we're getting some of this side quest stuff for them specifically. A, character development for them. B, to start building some more storylines for them outside of just the group. Um, And that becomes more and more important the further we get in the story. Right now, I'm literally just planting some of the seeds of what are going to be much more important storylines much, much later. I do that a lot. I love throwing a little thing in there that I could use later I might know, I might have an idea how to use it but I I leave it open enough that I can go all over the place with it but don't make it obvious enough that they remember it I love doing a callback in the story to something that in my eyes, like I remember that but they're like, oh that was such a small thing I I remember it happening but I never thought twice about it but now it's the most important thing in our storyline I I love having that callback to something that happened earlier so I I do a lot of that uh, in my stories when I'm writing DD. all right the day goes by without issue. that night will be their last night of sleep the next day their ship will be heading to pack uh, to um, Thorman. several ships of soldiers and warriors have already been sent um, but the ship of actual delegates and the clerics and such, um, and the contingents of mages from the tower are all going on this main ship. This is one of the larger and faster, more military ships in their navy. Um, it will make very good time. They should be in Thorman in a little less... I think I want to say the timeline was a little less than a week. I think it's like four days of travel to get Thorman in this boat. Normally it's six. Uh, but they've got a, a pretty large crew. This is, the, I think, the biggest ship in the navy, if I remember correctly. In their navy. Other navies may have bigger ships. We'll talk about that later. Right before they're going to go to bed. Darsh gets a knock on the door. Here's the door. He goes and answers it. And surprised to see a minotaur standing there. The mentor asks, Are you Darsh Fohammer? He goes, I am, in his Darsh-like voice. He goes, This is for you. And he holds out a a scroll. It's a minotaur scroll, basically like a letter, but they do it in the classic scroll thing. That's how they do it. Darsh takes it and says, thank you very much, and he sees the wax seal on it is that of the Fohammer family, which again would imply that it was his cousin Rokar. Because when you look at the seal, the seal has minor differences depending on your rank in the family. He recognized it as Rokar's family, you know, because it's like his father's younger brothers. You understand where I'm going there. So the father was, his father was head of the family, but each member in the family had rank, father being nice. So the, the, and it can be something as simple as, depending on it, like kind of a tree of branches. The, the highest rank has the most branches, with the different branch being specialized on the seal for your, your type of rank. I don't remember what the faux hammer one was, but it, it was something along those lines. Darsh opens the scroll, and before reading it, immediately starts scanning across it. And sure enough, within the sentences, he finds the three letters he's looking for. These three letters, thre- three letters are capitalized in odd places, but they're always in the beginning of a sentence, so they'd be capitalized. But it's odd gr- grammar that would make that word there. And this is known within the family. These are the letters that you write to prove that it's really you writing the letter. This is that anyone within the royal, or not royal, the noble family line would know this. He then immediately scans for the fourth one, which he does not find. The fourth one says that you're being forced to write this under duress. Very pleased to see that that's not the case. So he has no doubt that this is Rokar's, unless somebody's hacked the code. But Rokar actually wrote it himself. So, going through the notes, Rokar has sent a letter saying that they have received information that Craig, the Minotaur, the assassin mentor has somehow made it over into the human lands but whether he's in Paxwell, Arduel or Thorman, they do not know but it is believed he has been sent there to stir up trouble between the humans and the Minotaur and if you'll remember, I believe I mentioned in the previous episode that the Black Horn, the group that Craig is a, a member of, use magic, which again Considered dishonorable by most minotaurs, unless you're a cleric. Cleric magic, especially healing or god of war, totally pro. But if it's wizard magic to hide such, And from it, they say that he may have magic that alters his appearance in some ways. He may still look like a minotaur, he may not. He may look completely different. He may just look like a different minotaur. But to watch out for him, because... Some of the information they say is that the information they found about Craig coming over here also included Darsh's name. Not specifically how or why, but for some reason, Darsh was included in that information. And he wanted Darsh to be aware of that and to keep an eye out. Something Darsh needed to know. Darsh goes to bed. Everybody goes to bed. And everybody has a great night's sleep. That would be totally boring. So everybody doesn't have a good night's sleep. So in the middle of the night, Artemis wakes up. Artemis was resting perfectly fine. Sleeping well, no issues. But feels herself startled awake. Almost as if she heard a sound or something moved. But with her phenomenal improvision, looking around the room, there's no one in there. But she's immediately awake and she feels something is wrong. Putting on her robe and slippers, whatever she wears around the house. Lights a candle. Decides to go and just look around, see if any of her friends are having any problems. For all he knows, could be Dandy sneaking back in the house. She snuck in the, the night before, in the middle of the night. Normally, Artemis wouldn't hear, but Dandy made a little weird squeak oomph noise when she came through the door. She meant to ask her if she's okay, but Dandy said she was fine. She opens the door to her room and is surprised. The main room downstairs, because she's on the second floor. All the bedrooms are on the second floor, except for Darsh. His bedroom's in the basement because he's big and doesn't want to go upstairs. Um, there's a fire going in the fireplace. Now, they only put it out before they go to bed. They don't leave the fireplace going all night. There's small ones in some of the rooms and a place to keep them warm, but it's pretty much summerish, early fall at this point. It's, it's not cold by any means. The fire is more for just warmth or, or for cooking, but the fire is fully lit. She's like, I hope nobody didn't leave the fire on, and gently and quietly makes her way downstairs. She sees him sitting in the chair next to the fireplace, hands crossed over his fancy black clothing, his long white hair billowing over his shoulders, and he smiles at the sight of her. Her first instinct is to call out to her friends. This person should not have gotten into the house. Dandy's traps, nobody should be able to get into the house. With even Artemis' wards that she casts of protection, there should have been some type of notification. But sure enough, sitting in the chair next to the fireplace is the same man that she saw and spoke to her outside the Valley of Sacrifice when they found that first arch thing. Looking much as he did then, pale in skin, white hair, but with a pleasant look on his face and he motions to the chair across from her. She hesitates for a moment, wanting to call out to her friends, but knowing that last time, he had somehow in with them so that they didn't wake up concerned that may have happened again. He reads her thoughts very easily on her face. And says, Your friends are fine and will stay so. Please join me. I no wish to harm you or any of them. But we need to have a talk. She sits down across from him. He offers to pour a drink, There's some type of drink they had there, water, whatever, and she declines. He doesn't have any himself, of course, and he just kind of takes her in. You can see, he's looking her up, and she feels a little protective of herself to do that. He smiles even bigger, and he introduces himself. Now, I want you all before I go any further. I have to do a small disclaimer because this is important. When I created this NPC, I created him for a different story in a different location. He was actually going to be a character I was going to play myself that never really got actually used. So I kind of saved him for when I could finally work him into a story that I thought was cool enough. So please forgive me for any form of egoism when this character shows up in the story. But he's the favorite NPC. One of the two favorite NPCs I've ever made. And he introduces himself as Draven. At the time, I didn't have a channel. Didn't have all that stuff. And that's what I named the character I created. So his name is Draven. He gives no last name. He has one. Not now. But his name is Draven. He says, Do you remember... Many weeks ago, when I asked you if you saw a person, someone who looked much like me, but with dark hair, Artemis nods. He goes, I'm sure you know that I'm not your regular person. And he smiles, and when he does, his fangs are quite obvious. And Artemis can tell that the thing across from her is clearly not human. But it definitely radiates an aura of power. And even her experience with the undead doesn't come off quite like you'd expect. She has some experience with the undead. She's been around a long time. She's clearly healing. They know about these things. I'm looking for my brother now. Brother or not, you must understand, he's a very dangerous man. And commits all sorts of atrocities and it is imperative that i find him as soon as possible but i've been looking for a long time and i'm not finding any clues to his whereabouts but i did find you i thought that was coincidental something minor but then i was told otherwise it has been made clear to me by someone that I trust very much that to find and deal with my brother, I'm going to need your help. Now, I'm going to be honest. When I first heard this, first instinct was threaten the lives of your friends, maybe kill one, keep the other ones alive, whatever, in order to force you to assist me. I'm sure you value their lives even more than your own. But then it was made clear to me that in order for this to work, you have to help me by choice. It always has to be your choice. So that put me into a different situation. And so I want to offer you a trade the first time Artemis decides to speak and she goes what could you offer me that would make me want to leave my friends to go on a quest with you she smiles and goes absolutely nothing I have nothing to offer you right now but I will I'm going to offer you my assistance not now but sometime soon Time is going to come when you're going to need help, and I'm going to be the only one who can help you. And if you choose to accept my help at that time, and you agree that when the time comes, whenever that is, that I need your help to find or deal with my brother, regardless of anything else going on in your life or the world around you, you will drop it all by choice and you will come with me. You don't have to choose now. The time will come when you will need my help and at that time you'll have to make your choice. These are the terms of the bargain as I set them out. But as I said, you don't have to decide now. But are you open To the possibility of the arrangement. Again, everything inside Artemis is telling her she should tell this creature no. Whatever dark deeds he has or dark creature he's facing, she has friends, she has quests, she has goals that she's having to deal with on her own life. And the thought of just dropping that and leaving her friends to go help this thing do whatever is not appealing. But he seems to know something about what's going to happen in the future how soon or how later she doesn't know and it sounds like it's going to be something important so she has to decide do i enter into a potential agreement with this creature again not putting herself under any terms specifically because she has the right to choose when the time comes but if she should turn him down right now and the time comes that his help could be the difference between the life and death of someone she loves would she ever forgive herself for not at least being open to that opportunity for record this is the inner monologue that was being described to me as we played the game this is her thought process and after thinking she said I will agree to consider can you tell me more of when this time will be or what, what type of help I'll need for you. He looks at her he says, no, I can't. But I'll give you a little bit of tip for free. Where you're going right now, you're going to face forces of dead like you've never seen. And whatever it is that's creating or leading them is clearly going to be very powerful. You know that there's undead out there. He goes, I, right now in this moment, couldn't tell you what it is. But it has been made known to me again by someone that I trust very, very much that you will face a moment of choice that could be the difference between existence or death for millions of lives. Massive scale. A single choice come up to you. And when that time comes, you might need my help. And at that time, I will offer it to you. But until then, he takes his finger and he reaches up to his eye and he wipes it as if he's wiping away something. And when he does, she sees that hanging from his finger is a small drop. Like a teardrop. But it glows a dark glows, mind you. Crimson Red. As it hangs from his finger, he takes his hand and he goes like this. And as he pulls his hand across, she sees a very shimmering silver chain. Letting go with this hand, it swings down. And hanging from it is a a gem-like crystal. The same color as the drop. Finely etched. A jewel. Probably one of a kind. T- has it, and she and he puts it in her hand. She, he says, wear that, wear it against your skin. And when the time comes, I'll be able to reach you through that. If you feel you need to have it checked for magical influence, please feel free. It is only a way for me to communicate with you. It's not meant to take you over or to control you, because if I needed to force you to do something, I already would have. Again, I can't take away your choice or none of this works. So I'm gonna give you everything I can to help you make the right choice when the time comes. So that's not gonna hurt you in any way, but for it to work, it must be against your skin. Now, if you'll excuse me, I think it's time that I leave. Your big friend downstairs is starting to wake up and I'm not sure I can keep him asleep much longer. He really, really is hungry for some kind of pie, I don't, I don't understand it, but hes you have a long voyage ahead of you tomorrow, and I wish you and your friends truly all the luck in your endeavors, and I will be in touch. And he stands up with a gentle bow, walks to the front door, opens it, and walks straight out. Artemis is in a quandary she wants to tell her friends this is a lot to take on for one person in fact she probably should have told her friends but she didn't for some reason Artemis decided to keep this to herself this was something she had many different reasons that she gave for that I tell him that, she may, they may not let me use it. In a situation we could use his help, they may not let me. Clearly, he doesn't seem like a good guy, but at the same time, he's not setting off any of my magical wards of being an evil thing. So either he's not evil or, more likely, he's just more powerful than the wards I can cast at this point, and he's just walking through them like they're nothing. And he is. But she was afraid that if they knew, they wouldn't let her use his help if she needed to, or worse may come nervous of her. Is she under some type of control? This and that. These are all the reasons that the young lady playing Artemis gave me for why she didn't tell everyone. But I'm going to be honest with you. I thought she would. But she didn't. And man, did that change the way this story works. It made it so much better. But, Draven who again, for those of you who may not remember, looks like this. This is exactly how I designed Draven to look. Like, 100%. And then one day, I decided to get back into Magic the Gathering. Some friends wanted to play. I'll be damned if they did not create a character. for Magic the Gathering, that looks exactly how I always imagined Draven to be. Soren Markov is the name of that character but that is 100% Draven so that's my boy fun fun times Artemis sitting there lost in her thoughts, startled by a loud noise behind her quickly she hops from her chair and looks around and there's Darsh holding a pie and a fork I'm sorry, Artemis. I didn't realize you were awake. I would have been quieter. If you'll excuse me. And he walks back, goes back to his room, goes down the stairs, taking the whole pie with him. A little bit of hanging in his fur. and the pie, ma'am. I can't tell you how many times a pie has up in Darsh's life. <laughs> so, minor recap. Dandy meets Galen One-Eye, head of the Thieves' Guild. Becomes part of the Thieves' Guild. Does a mini-quest, now has a resource. Darsh finds his cousin Rokar. Member of the Navy of Kronar Awesome, it's his cousin. Source of information through Kronar and the Minotaurs. Possibly a door into the Kronar hierarchy should Darsh decide to one day involve himself in that. And now Artemis has met Draven. A thing or creature, which some of you may have a rough idea what is, feel free to conjecture, but um, a creature that says can offer her incredibly amount of help in a situation that will have a drastic effect on an almost infinite amount of lives. In return, for her assistance, in some dealing with some other creature like him, a brother, that she has to willingly assist in order for it to work. Putting Draven in a bit of a conundrum as well. Because it's way easier when I, I don't have to ask. Mercy. Don't worry, I haven't forgotten about mercy. We have got a little while before we get to mercy. The next morning comes. Companions again do all their regular stuff. They Put on their rings of teleport back to home. Central teleportation. Put all their real valuable stuff in their hidden treasure room. Dandy booby traps the hell out of it. Get their house, make sure all the fire's out, no dangers. Lock up all the doors and windows. Go across the street to Molly, who's already up baking pies. Actually has a brand new one ready for Darsh for the trip, which he was totally hoping for. And it's blueberry, it's his favorite. They say goodbye to Molly. Make sure Molly has a key because Molly looks after the house while they're gone. She knows not to mess with the basement. The whole house isn't trapped. Only certain entrance points. Molly has been made aware of where some of those are in the areas that she goes. She doesn't go to many of the rooms. She just keeps an eye on the place, goes inside if she has to. It's not like they have pets. She's not feeding a cat. They make their way to the ship. They arrive and are pleasantly surprised to find an old friend is also part of this voyage. Tobias, the young man who came to Paxual to become a mage, they've not seen him in quite a while, But they know that he became an apprentice of a mage directly under Lemia, who's head of the neutral clerics in the mage tower. And he has an incredible aptitude for magic, specifically in the area of magical items. Their understanding, figuring out how they work, and their creation. In this world, mages very often will eventually reach a point where they choose a specialty. You don't have to, but you get perks when you choose that specialty in that thing, whereas you will get some negatives in other things because you're focusing on that. So you can stay just a general mage or wizard, leveling up regularly, or you can get extra perks in specific ways while taking sacrifices in others. Um, In the old second edition ways, That's kind of what a specialist was. A mage chose specific schools. I really didn't like that as much because it limits what spells you can learn. I don't do that. um, Within reason. Uh, If you're a cleric of good, you're not going to learn power word kill. It's just not going to happen. You're going to be, you know, whatever. But you may take the good side of some spells that are reversible. More, clerics are much more limited because of their religion. Mages can learn just about anything. But if you choose a specialization in a specific... I don't choose the schools as much as I do a style of magic. And down the road we'll talk about those a little bit more. Um, magical items and artifact study and creation... Is one of those school spheres or styles of magic. I make magic items. I figure out how other people's magic items work same with the goal is to always learn to make an artifact. That's the dream of anybody in that role. If you ever want to be able to make an artifact, which if you're not sure what the difference is, an artifact is a -a one-of-a-kind magical item of usually immense power and skill beyond what a regular magic item can, and usually involves some type of a creation method that makes it almost impossible to make a second one. Not always. For example, the stones are technically artifacts. They are. there's only one of each stone in existence, but there are several stones. So you can make more than one artifact, but they may work differently than each other, but they still fit within that theme. So if you ever want to make an artifact, you have to go down the sphere to be able to do it, this uh, style of magic. That's his style, and he is exemplary. Already working out so well that he has graduated up a step from just being a lowly, Apprentice, he's officially a mage now. He tested out much quicker than you normally can. Lemia's very impressed with him. And it's so much so that once he hit that point, instead of working underling, he now works under her directly um, with some of her personal things she works on helping understand some of the magic items, and a lot of it's also research work, going through old books, finding how did somebody make a magic that a legend this item was made. How did it made? The legend said it needed this special item. Okay, what could that have really been? Let's see if we can find out. So a lot of it is just research, and he's really good at it. He's worked with and under Lemia for a little while now. And so, Lemia trusts him, and likes... He's got a smart head on his shoulders, and because... We're dealing with undead, and we don't know if the undead are being created by potentially a magic item or artifact, Lamia and the Mage Tower decide to send a couple of mages over that were specialized in that type of magic. She chose Tobias. Tobias is very excited to see his friends again. He would have never made it to Paxwell and become a mage had it not been for them. And even though it's only been, what, a year at this point since they first dropped him off there, and they've seen him a couple of times, you know, at the tower and such, just not very often. They haven't seen him in a while, since they've been traveling up north and saw Fig and Old New York and the dragon and the centaurs. have not seen him since well before that, so it's been six months at least. He's got a little bit of a stubble. You can see in the picture there, that's the actor that I use. That's that's Tobias. Um, I really like him as an actor. Uh, but a little bit of stubble on there, that's what he has now. He didn't have any of that before. But now he's got a little bit of stubble on him, um, and he is excited this is his first real trip away from the tower and away from Paxiwal. All his stuff has been researching, and he loves that. He loves getting in magic items and such, and he's got several on him at this point that he's been entr- excuse me, entrusted with from the Mage Tower. I'm not going to tell you what they are, but a couple magical rings and amulets, some of the basic stuff. He has a low-level magic staff at this point. it has got a couple little spells in it, but he's being sent on this mission. All the mages that are being sent have something You don't send a soldier into battle without some weapons. Mage Tower's the same way. These are some magic items we're giving you that we've made as a Mage Tower. They sit in our armory. You will give them back when you come back. All except for the staff. He made that himself. Actually, did so well with it. That's what really won Lemia over to him and kind of what got him under her. He made the staff and with his limited skill made a staff much more powerful than he should have been able to at his age. And skill level very impressive. So we got Tobias back in the fold, which is great because we've got a mage again! It's been a while since we've had a mage in the party. You know, that wasn't Zarin and we had to kill him. But a mage we can count on! Tobias is young and incredibly loyal and he is a, even though Lamia is a neutral mage, she's over all the mages that do magic items, he is, he wears a whitish, almost like a, a almost grey. Just like a, a, a dim white, if you will. Off-white. Is the robe color that he has chosen at this point. Um, because in many Dungeons Dragons uh, worlds and such, the color of your robe denotes your alignment uh, and such. I don't use that, but the color of your robes very often can denote your affiliation. So while he's wearing that color, the runes and stuff that would be around the arm or around the neck or the seams and such, the runes and designs are that of the Paxowal magic tower. So those runes are what he uses. They're like a badge of honor and, or, or a rank and such that, that other mages would recognize. They'd be able to read that rune language, pretty much any mage. It's in the, a language of magic itself. Say, mage tower, Paxwall, address by the PO box, whatever the case may be. It, it's going to let him know as he comes across another mage with the same rank, this is where we are. Especially if there's mage towers that are against each other, and in the future there might be. <laughs> It's a way of saying, okay, that's someone who's not part of my friends list. So, um, very nice. And he uses uh, blue trim on his white robes is what he uses at this point. Uh, so it's almost like said, the robes are almost dimly white. He wanted silver, but they don't make silver robes. <laughs> but uh, the runes are in silver in the blue. And the runes are very, even though the robes look themselves a little bit not expensive, the rune work is immaculate. It's magical. So yes, and they start their voyage. Artemis is helping oversee the clerics, while she doesn't have complete. You work for me. They're all under the the, the head cleric. That's the cleric that's in charge. A guy named Donovan. Uh, Donovan is a, a cleric of light, and he's over all the clerics. But she's like a right-hand man, and in many times he he'll speak to her. Hey, what do you think of this situation, and so on and so forth. As they go over different strategies and things about the possible where the undead are coming from. Clearly, this has been talked about a lot, and Artemis has been part of those conversations. But now they're you know, he's saying, Hey, I've talked with you some, but what are your thoughts? What are your, you've been out in the world even more than I have. What have you seen? What could this be? Sorry. Very thirsty. All right, so it takes, as I said, about five days to get there. The ship is going full steam the whole time. In fact, at one point they even catch up to one of the soldier ship and pass it that left a day or so before them. Um, but they make it to the port of Thorman, and Thorman itself, uh, it was a port city before the merge, so it was already. But it was it was on a river more than it was an ocean, so. Its docks had to be slightly recalibrated, rebuilt, to be able to have more deep water vessels come in. Um, but it has a decent amount of ships already. Even though it's a smaller kingdom, its navy rivals Pax-a-Wall. Um And that's one of the big things that Pax-a-Wall, uh is is intrigued with. Hey, we got somebody with a navy as strong as ours. We really want to be allies with them. We want to work something out. And they have peace stuff overall, but nothing hardcore. And so Paxiwal using this opportunity at A... It's undead, and we don't want them to hurt anybody. But this is a great chance for us to really schmooze in with Thorman and get uh, some friends there. The head of Thorman is a king. Now, if you remember, Paxwall is ruled by a council, of which the mages and the clerics and the merchants are all part of that. Thorman has a has a king, and that is King Gerald Dragonsbane. Uh, His wife, Maria, Dragon's and a daughter named Lana. Um... Lana... Uh... is the daughter of his first marriage. And Maria is his second wife. Nothing funky there. Nobody get poisoned. Not an evil stepmother. I didn't do any of that classic stuff, so I get that out of your head right now. We're not going to worry about any of that. They get along just fine. Um... But yes, they arrive, and of course, you can see that the city is in shambles, not like it's been attacked, but people are fleeing. A lot you don't see many normal boats, I mean, non-navy um, boats. You'll see some merchant boats, but you're not seeing many personally owned fishing boats. Most people at this point have gotten their stuff, gotten on the boats that they have, and they've gone west away from the direction the undead are coming. The undead are coming from land. Uh, Those who don't have boats and options are fleeing west and north as they can, but the city has a whole mess of refugees from the villages and smaller towns that are part of Thormund's kingdom. There's a lot of them that go all around it, but from the direction where the undead are coming from the uh, east, what people are fleeing ahead of the undead army. Which, which ones have successfully made. They're greeted by the princess herself. Uh, she's been asked to uh, escort them and their leaders to uh, the, the castle proper. Uh, so she takes our party members along with the heads of the mages, including Tobias, heads of the clerics, Donovan, and so on, and the head of the navy and military. The navy staying with the boat. Because the navy is ready to pull out quickly if they need to retreat, and they're also preparing to potentially use some of the boats that they brought the army on to start taking some refugees out as well to Paxwall instead. Those few who want to come. Um, there was a hierarchy to that, and it was all resource management stuff that the characters had to deal with that I'm not going to bore you with. But there was some resource management side to that um, for the characters themselves and the main entourage, which is about 12 people on the boat total, including our four and Tobias. Everybody looks a little weird at Dandy, of course, because nobody really wants a Kender to show up. And there's also a lot of looks at Darsh, because Darsh is a Minotaur, and he's showing up on the human boat. They find out, almost landing immediately, that Kroniar has also sent a small ship of Minotaur offering their assistance in this time of need. Maxwell, a little surprised. Didn't know that. No one from Kroniar, who they're working on, you know, treaties and such right now, told them they were sending anybody. They didn't send a lot. They sent 30 Minotaurs. But in a Minotaur's mind, one Minotaur is as good as 100 human fighters. So, I mean, we just basically sent half your army in one boat. So, you know, you're way better off with our guys than you are your own. Um, And the Minotaur are there. uh, But the Minotaur... Are just not marching out immediately to take on. They are their own force. Thorman's there. We're here to assist, especially in the defense of your kingdom, should it get to that point. But we're not out just marching around looking to do all take care of your people and. Get refugees and all that kind of stuff. We're warriors. We're here to fight. So if the fight gets here, we're going to destroy us some undead. But until it does, we're going to really just park out in your inns and your bars and drink drink most of your liquor. But we have good coin, so you'll be okay with that. And they do, and they are. But Darsh is also intrigued because this. Everybody says they see Darsh walk off and and they on the human boat and they're like, "Are you part of the Kornear contingent as well?" And he says, "No, I'm." I am not currently a member of the Kroninger Kingdom. I have not yet had the opportunity to visit the islands, though I hope to soon. Um, I'm a representative of Paxowal in which the head uh, ambassador that's there in the ship is like, yes, no, he, he speaks for us. He and his friends are uh, allies of us and have helped us in many situations. And uh, we feel that they bring a lot of knowledge. They're very well-traveled and very well-experienced. And we feel that, if nothing else, just their knowledge could be immensely useful. Uh, one of them, of course, being a very cleric of, of healing as well. Her healing, and they're like, well, of course, her. We're, we're fine with her being here. And he said, Darsh and Mercy, great warriors. And even, they always say it this way, and they don't ever mean it disrespectfully. but even the kender has been incredibly useful. And Danny's like, yeah, even me. Wait a minute. <laughs> He's like, wait a minute, is that, a, is that an insult? <laughs> Uh, but they get taken into the castle and, and there's basically going to be a feast. Because that's what you do when you're about to go to war. You have a feast. There's a lot going on. Clearly. This is a kingdom that's under siege by not just regular military, an army of undead, which are slowly moving. They don't appear to be in any hurry. Sometimes they don't advance for days on end. And they'll just non-stop for a day or so. But it's moving in one solid line. It's not like they're just rambling all whatever. They're moving and then they stop. And then they move and then they stop. Well there's nothing that anyone's seen would be a leader. There's those people that have seen the undead army. There's nothing that's marching in them giving commands that they could see. There's no apparent leader of any kind. What they find they just see this census army and unfortunately within them these are their people. And that's another big thing that they that 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 the characters didn't know till they got here, the undead that they're seeing coming through are their people. This is a very populous land, very good farmland, orchards, orchards, um, you know, mining. There's some mining over in the mountains. The people that are coming, are these zombies and the undead, are dressed of their time. Some of them appear to be dressed in a much older style of clothing but the vast majority of them are just our people and the further they advance towards us the bigger that army is getting as more and more farmsteads and villages and even small towns are falling under in the in the, the first we don't know exactly when this even started. We don't know how many villages and homes were lost before we were even really made aware that this threat was coming. This is the king talking in the, the chamber. It's not the feast yet. The feast is tonight. But it's basically a big, they've got like a big round table looking thing. Not a king or thing. It's big round table where all the delegates are there. Some of the people are, are standing. Darshan and the homies, the, the party, they're standing because they're not official delegates. But they're standing behind the Paxoal delegates. They're with them. Tobias gets a chair though, because he's represented with the mages. Um, but this is the king and and, the, and their general. The general. There are three. One two three four. There's several people of importance in this kingdom that I need to make you aware of. Other than the royal family I just talked about, um, the head of their army general is a guy named Ma- Maverick, and the head of their navy uh, is Shana. Uh, Shana Smythe is the head of their navy, and she is the most experienced, more so even than the, 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 the military commander. In fact, she was army, then went navy, so she and many of her crew have come back on land to assist. Um, the High Cleric of... There's a small... There's a, there's a cleric tower here, cleric thing as well, but they have just one High Cleric. Her name is Kara, and she's a High Cleric of Manara and then the head of there's a small mage tower here as well and i will say that the mage tower in Thorman is 100% already completely hooked up with the mage tower in Paxwall and the mage tower that was in Arduel was mostly wiped out by the evil guy who tried to take over the kingdom but as it's rebuilding Paxwall has sent people to do that so while the kingdom's may not be completely in league yet the mage towers are one unit. They very quickly learned they needed to link up together because they're all trying to figure out what caused the merged and everything to happen. And then the undead thing started. We got to be figure figure that out. So the mages are already linked, if you will, um, in many ways. But the head of uh, the mages is a halfling named Trips Rumblebottom. So Trips is there, and Trips and Shayna. Uh, and Maverick are kind of giving the information. And the king chimes in a bit, but it's really his commanders and clerics and such that are giving what they know. Kara as well, the head of the clerics. So the, what I've been explaining, you know, that the, it's their people that are coming, they're moving slow. It appears that they're clearly being controlled by someone or something or some ones or some things, but they have no idea what it could be. There's been no sight of it. There have not been any undead animals. That is important. There's no undead horses that undead warriors are riding on. It all appears to be pretty much zombies. And that's what the, what the clerics have said. We've sent clerics in. Many of them... Especially the ones that were fresh. They're able to turn or, or even destroy relatively easily. With, their, with the higher level clerics can do that. But most of them... Even the ones that have only been undead for a short while. A few days normally they should have the ability to turn them they're weak enough undead that their powers do it but for some reason they can't whatever is pushing them is stronger than what they can push back which is a lot when when you're pushing back with basically the power of a god i mean that's what cleric power is that is magic directly granted to you by your god or goddess so and again how strong that is depends on your level of experience and how much power you can funnel, which is hence experience levels and so on. But even the experienced clerics that they have, which are pretty experienced, nowhere near as big as Bart and Mara from Paxawall. But Kara's no slouch. She's, she's more powerful than Artemis is. She goes, even myself, it was all I could do to turn the few that I could. Whatever is pushing them is a, has a strength behind it I can't understand or explain. But it is clear that it's coming from one single direction. Everything's coming from the west. At one point, Mercy speaks up, because not, it's not like they're not allowed to talk even though they're not sitting down. She speaks up, she goes, at one point, we had heard rumors that there was an enemy from the north or west as well that was a concern. Is it possible this is them coming from a different direction? The king shakes his head and says, no, you're speaking of a, a, there's a kingdom far, far to the northwest that was advancing this direction, and there was concerns that it, was, it had a large military, but then one day they just stopped and seemed to turn around and go back. Uh, they've never been an actual threat themselves, although we feared what people we sent out to speak to them never came back. When we sent people to spy on them, they never sought out to, to hurt any of our spies, but anyone who basically went speak, we sent to them, to that kingdom, which they don't really know its name, to be honest, because it's quite a distance away. Um, just never came back. So they, they ceased trying, and since that, that kingdom isn't coming this direction and then the undead popped up, that became a priority. But they've had no reason to believe whatever that group was, uh, would need that. Their army was bigger than the group of what, what army we were able to see was much larger than the group of undead that we're seeing. That army itself was massive and it's something that the kingdom has spoken to Paxiwal about before and Paxiwal is aware of. They don't believe that they're linked in any way. was a question that Mercy asked. Now during this interaction something catches Dandy's eye. She's not sure what it is. But there's a guy. There's a big guy. And he's one of the servants. And he's helping serve drinks and stuff to the people. But unlike all the rest of the servants that are in there, he seems to be having a hard time of it. He just... Everyone else looks like they're very experienced. You're pouring the wine a specific way. And, Excuse me, sir, would you like to... May I take your glass? And he seems... You could say almost like the new guy. He's a very, very big guy, but he's a shaved head guy, and Danny's keeping I an mean, eye on him. He seems out of place, but he's not doing anything, you know, harmful other than being slightly, you know, klutzy and awkward. Danny makes a mental note of it. Anything that stands out to Danny, so like, oh, I a mental note of it. I'm going to tell everybody about it when we have time. I'm not going to tell them right now because right now they're talking about zombies, and zombies are so exciting. I saw zombies several times, and when I saw a zombie, and Tobias is like. Did, did you mean to say all that out loud? And she's like, yeah, I was telling you what I saw, but the guy, in the, and he's like, I, I didn't I didn't see it. Literally, her inner monologue just comes out sometimes. And Tobias is like, I really would like to hear what, what they're saying about the zombies. And she's like, ooh, they're back to the zombies. Yes, let's. Tobias shakes his head. Basically, what they've decided in this meeting is that Clearly, there's some type of source, and they need to find out what it is. The mages are going to work together by trying to cast some big old magic spells to see if they can find any type of magical influence that they can find. The clerics are going to try to do something along the same lines. And then the military is going to start going... Paxiwal joining up with uh, what's left of the Thormin uh, military that hasn't already gone out. We'll be marching towards the front lines, if you will. They're going to be going to try to hold the line and try to help... Uh, evacuate anybody from the kingdoms and villages or not kingdoms, villages, towns and farmsteads between Thorman and the undead army. At some point they're definitely going to hit up against the undead and they'll have to deal with that. But right now they're, one of their big things is try to assist Thorman in protecting those towns and such while they evacuate. Our characters our friends here have decided that they are going to go along with that group. They're going to go in and try to help. That's That's you know, the best thing they can do... I mean, they don't... Artemis isn't powerful enough to just up and cast a spell and figure out what's going on by herself. There's more powerful clerics working on that. But she's going to take a, several of the clerics that were basically put under her charge to go along with... These ones are going on. The head cleric that she was hanging out with, Donovan, he's going to stay and help with the big spells trying to figure out what's going on and protect the overall kingdom with the, the big magic wards and such. But a handful of the other Clerics of Healing and several of the Clerics of Light that are going to be going out to assist and back up the soldiers. He says, Okay, you're going to go there, Artemis. I'm going to put them under you. Okay? This Introduce him to another person who is like a third in command. I don't remember the name. It's not important. But this is your right hand. You can, if you any need to, you can put the responsibilities on them. But you're in charge of these 15 or 14 Clerics. Artemis is like, Okay, wasn't expecting that. But all good. Um... Darsh wants to go speak to the Minotaurs and say, are you coming along and such? And uh, That's something he plans on doing after the the meeting happens. But he's definitely going to go along. Because if his friends are going to go up there, Darsh isn't going to hang around with the other Minotaurs. He's going to make sure his friends are okay. And Tobias gets permission from the other mages there to go along with them support. And he's been put in charge of a few mages that are going to be going along with the military as well. There's one large town um, about two days' travel away that still has a lot of people in it. You know, a lot of people are even though you hear that the threat's coming if you've ever seen a zombie movie the zombies are coming, eh, I'm not that worried about it. A lot of people have not evacuated yet. And there's probably a good thousand people that live in that area. And so getting that town evacuated is their first big goal. And they're going to do some of the smaller stuff around that as well. But there's a lot of people in there. So that's their first goal is to march there as best they can. So it's decided that on the tonight there's going to be a, a bit of a feast to thank all these awesome people for coming. Cause that's what you do in your royalty. And then the next day, they're going to march out. Yay. I need another drink. the meeting ends and people are starting to talk and that's where we're—you we, know the clerics are telling Artemis you're going to have these people Tobias you're going to have these people this is who you're going to be under, they talk to them so on and so forth uh, this is what I want you to do, either watch out for these type of things look for these type of clues they give them a couple magic amulets of warding versus undead, some real basic stuff to help protect them if needed um, and so on but Dandy tells the story about the big guy I saw this really big guy, he looked really out of place Now, everybody else at the table is like, okay, fine, you saw a big guy. But not her friends. Her friends know that Dandy's not going to mention it unless it really stuck out for some reason. And they, well, what's he look like? He's he's a big guy, white-skinned human, shaved head. I I didn't get a good look at his face. He was wearing like a kind of a servant's garb, if you will. Um, But he just, unlike everybody else who was serving who looked like they knew what they were doing, he just seemed really out of place. Um, Artemis, of course, being, in every situation, the person they would like to have speak as their speaker. Uh, because no one's going to argue with an elven cleric of healing. That's someone you want on your side. So, he's, excuse me, general, or so-and-so. Um, question. You know, the servants and this and that. We thought we saw someone we might know, an old friend, a large human. And, and they're like, no, I apologize. I, I don't. There's a lot of servants that work within the castle and work for the royal family and work... For, throughout it, and then with the busy times that we've had, a lot of people who've evacuated from those towns and such, uh, many of them have been brought in and basically hired on to help assist, deal with all the extra military coming in. There's a lot of people cooking foods and taking care of the military, make sure they have supplies. All the blacksmiths have come into town, and we've gathered all them, making weapons, repairing weapons and armor. So there's a lot of new faces in here. I apologize, I don't recognize them, but I can ask around if you'd like. And I'm just like, well, it's not that big a deal. We, we thought we saw something we knew, and we just thought we'd ask about it. Friends are like, okay, Dandy. If you see him again, let us know, because if he if he set your you know spider senses a tingling, we we need we need to at least figure out why. He wasn't undead, was he? And he's like, I no, didn't like he's a zombie. He's a guy. I'm like, okay. So they are basically shown to some rooms. All the fancy people are given some rooms. They're not the biggest rooms because there's so many people here, but they're still given some rooms. Uh, Darsh gets his own room, uh, which uh, Tobias is staying with the mages. And then the three girls are given a room to share. It's got several small beds in it. Um, Artemis was offered a place with the clerics, but she says, no, I'll stay with Mercy and Dandy. So they kind of put their stuff up. They're not, they don't really unpack. They're only going to be there the night. And then, you know, they wash up, rest up, whatever, and then dress up in their fancies. They got their chest of holding They bring out their nice clothes for the meal. They got to represent Paxwall in themselves. And they get on their fancy clothes. And uh, an hour or so later, after hour or two after resting, someone shows up and says, yeah, "We'll escort you to the to the feast." So they're there. The feast is, of course, exactly what you'd picture it—classic uh, Middle Ages kind of thing. Big table at the end, we're all family eating. Several of the big people that were invited from Paxawall, and then there's some smaller tables in front of those where the like. Ambassadors and smaller ranks, nobles, and then all the other people on a whole bunch of other tables. It's a very big chamber. Small kingdom, big castle. Um, but it's a, very, it's a very profitable castle. And I, again, I, I tried to stress that with the the navy and the fishing and all the farmers and the mining. It's a very wealthy kingdom. But in physical size, it doesn't take up a lot of space. A lot of people in a small space. Um, they just how it worked out because, again, the geography of their old world limited growth, whereas this new one does not. So they've already seen a boom growing since then, um, which is why there's so many villages and farmsteads and such around the area. That's all popped up uh, even more so than before. The mountain range wasn't there before, so the mining's a whole new thing. And then lumbering and such, it's new forests, so there's lots of great resources on this side of the mountain range that they're taking advantage of. And there we go. So, they arrive at the feast. Everybody's eating their food. Darsh is always enjoying all the foods, trying not to be too rough. That's, you know, with spilling everything. Um, there is several of the Minotaurs, the rank members of the Kronar. He does speak to them. They're shocked to see him there, but when he says who he is, they're like, "Oh, we heard of a, we heard that there was a Minotaur living among the humans." Uh, is represented them because I believe ones I believe. You have a cousin named Rokar, if I'm correct. Dar says, yes, that's correct. He goes yes, I know Rokar. He served on my ship for a while. Um, great warrior. Totally loyal. Absolutely no problem with him. He speaks highly of you. I've got no problem. And from what I could tell, you were the elder in the family, were you not? And he goes, of the two of us, yes. He goes, yes. He all right. Well, he's a he's a good lad. Rokar's an adult, but this is an older man. He's a good lad, and he said nothing bad about you. So, you're fine in my book for now. <laughs> minotaur. They're just like, okay, thanks, I appreciate that. And things go about. Now, as the evening winds on, people get to drinking, hanging out, stories of adventures. At some point. Um, even our characters are asked to share some of their tales, their adventures, and they share some of the, especially the crazy stuff, which most of the people here have never been involved in, they're like, oh my god, this and that, and they, they don't mention Zoltan, the demigod, the artifacts, or the stones, they leave that out, but some of the adventures they're on while looking for them, they talk about the Flying Citadel, how they were at the Valley of Sacrifice. When that battle happened, everybody here knows about that. Even Thorman, they're like, "Oh, wow, you were there!" I'm like, "Yes, yes, we were there," and so on, and so forth. We're actually up in there, and we're fighting and such. And there was an the evil wizard, and we whooped him real good, and this and that. And they leave out the undead Minotaur bad guy in there because, you know, Minotaurs. Talk about the story. In at one point, Dandy's up on a table, and she's reenacting this stuff, and and everybody's laughing because very much jesterly. The jester. Before, the king wasn't happy because she was taking his job. But she's up on a table and she's reenacting with the silverware and this and that. And while she's doing it, she's spinning around. She accidentally kicks a butter dish and it gets Darsh. And it's all. And he's like, why with the butter dish? Because if you'll remember, this has happened before. And he's trying to wipe off. And then everybody starts laughing. Even Darsh starts laughing. So the minotaurs get quiet. Like, is he about to kill the kender? Then he starts laughing. And they're like, oh, it's okay then. And everybody starts laughing. Because, you know, it's a minotaur. You don't know what they're going to do. Most of these humans have not really dealt with many minotaurs in their lives. But it goes on and everything's happening. There's some dancing and music going on. And people just trying to enjoy an evening before they know they're about to march off to see probably some seriously horrible stuff. Uh, The dead bodies of people they've known and loved rising, trying to kill them. And maybe even succeeding in front of their eyes. So there's, there's a lot of heavy stuff. They try to enjoy it. Dandy is... Telling another voracious story um, about the time that Darsh used her as a javelin across the ravine to try to stab a thing, which the Minotaurs are like, throw the kender. Of course you throw the kender normally in the cavern, but using a kender as a weapon—that's ingenuitive. We respect that. And everybody else is like, really? And she goes, yeah. He threw me really hard. And I hit this thing, and there's a spike. And she's sitting there, and, and she and she's using the silverware as, as, as weapons and such. I have my daggers, and then she stops for a second. And then she starts telling the story again. But as she does, she's very gently b- b- bends over and she sets down the, the silverware. And she's still talking and such. And, and she's being animated like normal. But then her daggers are in her hand. And she's reenacting, but now she actually has weapons. Her friends notice the difference. Dandy armed herself for a specific reason. And Darsh and Mercy, Artemis talking with some clerics, isn't seeing much of this, but Darshan Mercy, while sitting there laughing about the story, they tense up because Dandy just armed herself in the middle of this room of hundreds of people, 100 people, not 200. It's a big room. And she wouldn't do that unless she had a reason. They don't have their weapons with them, per se. They've all got a dagger or a knife or something, but they're not walking around with their swords. Mercy doesn't have her morning star. But there's an, they all have at least a dagger on them. And there's enough cooking utensils and plates and such around here. They could do something. And there are guards in the room with weapons if they need one. Dandy is clearly being very careful not to give away the fact that she's armed herself. She's continued the story with just the minorest of pause, But Dandy doesn't pause unless there's a reason. And so they are... She's very carefully making sure their hands are going while still continuing to laugh and tell the story and look around to find out what it is that's going on. It's Mercy that first noticed that when Danny's telling the story, she keeps waving her her daggers in a specific... (laughs) kind of a thing. And Danny notices the human. The human again appears to have a serving tray, has some wine and such, but he doesn't seem to be serving anyone. He just seems to be very... Carefully making his way around the room. But still not out of the ordinary. He's a big guy. Mercy, who's sitting next to Darsh, is able to nudge him with the leg and kind of point that direction. And Darsh sees the big guy as well. You really don't see him well, only that it's a big guy with a bit of a shaved head. And he has a bottle of wine on you know platter. And people are like, hey, a drink? And he's like, No, no, not for you. And he keeps making his way around the room. And they're really seeing him from behind, from kind of the side as he's working here. And they're like, okay, this guy's the issue, and Dandy's watching it, and so on, and what's happening. And then at one point, you can see he's making his way towards the head table where the nobles and the king and the princess and them are sitting. And he gets beyond the table, and they lose sight of him for a moment. And then they see him again as he leans, leans in to pour wine into some of the glasses at the head table, starting with the princess. And this is the first time that they can see his face. And he's not an attractive guy, but he's not hideous. If it weren't for the huge scar going down one eye, and that one eye being completely whited out. You know, it's at this very moment telling this story that I realize how many people have one eyes in my stories. I didn't realize that was a theme until this very second, but I apologize for all the one eyed people. If you're a one eyed person, it doesn't mean you're evil. (laughs) Just how it worked in the story. Not now. Sorry, I got a kitty. Go away, buddy. And a couple things click into place at that moment. Really big guy scarred one eye. Now, some of you may be leaning towards one eye of the Thieves' Guild. That is not the situation here. Rokar had spoken of a Minotaur assassin with one eye and a huge scar going down his face that had tried to poison the Emperor and potentially could be over here trying to cause problems for humans. And even though there's a human standing there with one eye, Darsh knows immediately who that is. He goes to stand up at the same time a flash of glistening light as Dandy whips one of her daggers straight at the princess. Going right by, shattering the glass in her hand, Popping into the, into the wooden chair at her back. And everybody stops. Except for the guards who immediately start drawing their weapons and such. And everybody looks at Dandy. And the princess is shocked. And Darsh yells out, stop that man. He's trying to poison the king. And immediately, people look at the big guy standing behind. Who quickly pulls out a dagger... And tries to stab the princess. Darshish's call out was enough. That the guards start rushing in. And the king jumps between this big guy. Who's probably mentor. And the princess. And rests with him. And ends up getting stabbed in the shoulder himself. But puts himself between his daughter and this guy. And the guy then tries to rush out. And he's a big guy. But as he begins to move... And start pushing through people. He gets bigger. And his almost like his skin rips. And he almost doubles in height. And literally the horns grow. And he changes into a minotaur. Directly in front of him. And knocking a human down. Grabs the halberd. Which if you know what a halberd is. It's a very long polearm weapon. And it's very very large. Immediately starts attacking the guards. Who? we're here purely for looks at this point, half-tired, been standing here laughing at stories, probably snugging a drink or two themselves. We're not prepared for this. The people that were prepared are our heroes, who go rushing in. Mercy and Darsh are immediately barreling through, pushing people aside. And again, Darsh runs, people move. The guards, unsure of what's going on, immediately start to encircle all the minotaurs. To which the Minotaurs, then feeling threatening, start getting start getting pushy back with the human guards, which is totally not good to enrage a group of noble Minotaurs inside of the area. But Darsh puts himself through and past while Mercy and Artemis, Artemis seeing, hearing them screaming and everything, she comes with Mercy. She catches up immediately and immediately goes to help the king, along with, let me get her name again, Kara, who is also the cleric of, of Minara who's there. Minara being the goddess of light. She's more powerful than Artemis is, but Artemis is a clearing, healing cleric. Kind of give them way. So Artemis steps in, starts immediately trying to heal the king, who's sitting there with a huge dagger, and the skin going black around it, because clearly it's not a normal dagger. Starts She can't pull the knife out. It's literally stuck in there, and it, it seems like a black, almost like ink is starting to spread in and the king is completely out of it at this point. The guards are, of course, encircling the royal family. What other guards aren't already trying to do stuff? But Darsh just pushes through everybody until he's face-to-face with Craig the mentor. Craig. K-R-A-A-G. Craig the Minotaur. I have told you this last time. I got a lot of crap from my players because they kept calling him Craig. <laughs> like C-R-A-I-G. Like, it's not Craig the Minotaur. That's why they call him Craig. It's not Craig the mentor. Craig the Minotaur. Much scarier. And Darsh runs in again. The guard's not knowing what to do in this situation. Because here's a minotaur beating them down. Here's another minotaur rushing into his aid. Try to put themselves between Darsh. Darsh, as gently as he can be, hurls people out of his way. Because Darsh is big for a minotaur. Not the biggest minotaur there. There's a minotaur bigger in the group. But he's probably second biggest there. He's large for a minotaur. And well, a lot of minotaurs have different colored fur in different areas. He is all black minotaur. So he's very imposing. And he just pushes people out of the way. And Craig turns on him. Squints his one eye. And his and just comes at Darsh. All Darsh has is a dagger at this point, And a piece of a table that he kind of grabbed at one point. He grabs a... wasn't the table? I'm sorry. He grabbed the platter. That's what it was. He grabbed the platter that a turkey was on. And he whips the platter, and Craig knocks it away with his halberd, long weapon, knocks it away. That allows Darsh to get in close enough where the halberd becomes a little bit, and the, the two guys start fighting it out. Um, Craig was very skilled, um, and very quickly was able to disarm Darsh, much as Darsh was able to remove the halberd, and it became a minotaur brawl. Um... And all the humans, completely no idea what's going on here. They just see two Minotaur. One of them was supposedly trying to kill the the princess, then stabbed the king, was a human a minute ago. And now these guys are fighting in the corner of this room. Everybody at this point starts to watch. The guards are still being protective. They're not letting anybody move around. Everybody's kind of stuck where they're at. All the guards have got their... You can picture guards around the room. And more have, of course, been called in at this point. The Minotaurs aren't pushing back, but they're also not being pushed by the guards. The guards kind of got them at weapon point. They're clearly outnumbered. The Minotaurs aren't idiots. But they're also enraptured with this fight's going on because they just saw a human turn into a Minotaur, and you don't see that every day. But Darsh and Craig... Craig fighting it out. And um, Darsh, member has the one horn. Uh, in this situation... Uh, was actually helpful because Craig tries to grab both his horns and really can only grab one. Um, And minotaurs, not only do they have their fight attack, minotaurs also have a bite and a horn attack, of course, if they are in combat. If you're fighting a minotaur in the wild, in case you need to know that, they have the horn attack, a charge attack, and a bite attack. they got very strong teeth, bit by a cow or a bull, you'll know that. But the fight becomes just a straight-out brawl. And Darsh Wins, obviously, it's it's the way it works, but not without cost. Um, Darsh wants to take him alive and turn him over to the Emperor, uh, but Craig will have none of that. And literally, once you know, Darsh has him basically on the point where he's beaten him to the point that Craig's almost just he's just a pulp at that point, he's Beaten. Darsh is taking some hits as well. Craig was actually small for a Minotaur, but he was very strong. Uh, again, assassin type. More of the dexterous than the physical combat. But he, he, There's a knife pops out at certain points. He gets another dagger out and slashes Darsh a few times. He had a hidden dagger that he hadn't pulled out before. Again, very dishonorable combat from a Minotaur kind of thing. When you're being faced unarmed, you should face him unarmed as well. Honorable combat, like for like kind of thing. Uh, but he uses every trick he can. Tripping and trying to grab chairs and such. And just not an honorable fight. And Darsh at, at gets to a point where he doesn't have a choice. It's He knows that Craig has, several times, tried to pull guards in and use them as leverage and try to hurt the people. And Darsh, if I remember correctly at the end, ended up, without anything, gets him You know, in basically like a chokehold. And he's trying to choke him out. And... Craig pulls out, Yet he kept pulling out daggers. That was the thing. He kept finding daggers out of nowhere, and whether they illusions or what. He clearly had some type of magical on him. But he kept pulling out daggers, and when he's almost choked out, he takes the one last dagger, and he swings up, and Darsh immediately raises his hand to, to defend his face from it. But Craig instead stabs himself into his own throat and just... And, not, and this is a jagged, this is not a clean cut. He just rips it out. And in seconds, bleeds out. In Darsh's arms still, because Darsh is trying to hold his throat in and such, and Yelling for Artemis, but it was too late. By the time Artemis got there, he'd already completely bled out. It was just a jagged slash. While this was going on, Mercy and Artemis are trying to deal with the king. Dandy shows up as well, and they're trying to figure out what's what they can do. Um... And for every healing spell she does, the blackness fades in, but then starts to grow back out again. And the dagger will not come out. At one point, they try to cut it out. And the king screams, even though he looks like he's unconscious, screams out, and the guards step in again. And even the cleric they know, who is Kara, is like, no, give her room. And they're in there, and another cleric show up, and they're trying to heal. And several smaller or lower-level clerics are just constantly healing him, trying to keep it. But they're just trying to keep it at bay at this point. It's not healing him the whole. It's just keeping whatever poison or infection or magical, whatever it is. So, not sure what to do. They're digging at it, and Dandy's like, we can try to cut it out, like, or rip it out. We can get one of the Minotaurs. They could probably pull it out, but I don't know what kind of damage that's going to do to the king. It could kill him, and they're like, we can't do that. Especially in the middle of this situation, all that would go wrong there. And Dandy gets an idea. And in her mind, Artemis is thinking, is this the moment? Is this it? Am I going to hear a voice talk to me? But there's no sounds from Draven. No words. She doesn't know what she's supposed to do. This king dies it could start a war between the Minotaurs and this, especially if Minotaur Minotaur's the one that assassinated him, and in the middle of all this undead, he's like, this is a pretty big thing. I haven't heard a peep out of Draven. Is this not the moment that he spoke of? But Dandy reaches into her pouch, and she pulls out this flask. And she goes, I'm told this is a pretty strong healing potion. We should probably have him drink it. And they're like, well, where'd you get it? He goes, from someone who probably can't be trusted, but it's all I got. <laughs> and like, well, if he can't be trusted, she goes, he goes, "Goes put it in his mouth and make him drink it, Artemis. <laughs> Artemis, Daniel's, okay. And she takes it and she pours liquid in, into his mouth. And as she is, the watch just really, really starts to shrink out. And as it's almost gone, Dandy literally just almost standing on the king's shoulders heaves out as hard as she can with the dagger, and sure enough with a sickening pop, it comes out. And it's just dripping this black ichor that sizzles when it hits things. And Dandy's like, ew and throws it down. That's gross! And she's smacking it with her hoop pack. Not sure if it's alive or not, it's not, but she's ew. And with that out, now the clerics' healing spells are clearly having an effect. The wound is starting to close. His color's starting to come back. Um, in a moment or two later, he comes conscious, though he's very, very weak. And Darsh, at this point, is taking care of the minotaur. King's like, "What? Is, what's going on?" He sees the guards on here. What's happened? Is my daughter okay? And she's like, "Father, I'm here. I'm okay. It's all right. You saved me." Because he did was very heroic. I mean, that human had Minotaur strength, and he shoved a nasty dagger into him, but it was meant for the daughter. Because, you know, that's even worse. Kill the king's daughter, Minotaur, it's going to cause even more problems. Savage stuff. Explain, the king immediately, you know, explain, or gets explained by Artemis, Sister Mara, what happened. And that Darsh had taken out the assassin, and that that assassin had nothing to do with the rest of the Minotaurs. The king sees this and he, he manages to They help him stand up enough that he says he orders everyone to put their weapons away. Guards and such. And he, and he about falls over again. And he says I'm going to excuse myself. I'm right now putting and he gives the name of the general Shayna He goes, Shayna I'm putting you in charge to deal with this. Figure it out. And then blacks out again and the guards catch him and his wife helps and daughter and they they help take him away. Shana was there. Again, Shana was the one who was also trying to cut it out and it wasn't working. Shana Shana says, before anybody leaves, you here, you, you, come here. He pulls over the head of the minotaurs and such. Do you know what happened? Who this is? Darsh goes, this is an assassin. And the other minotaurs are like, yes, Craig, he's wanted, tried to kill the emperor. We've been, you know, he's been, there's a wanted out for him now. So on and so forth. He's nothing to do with us. He's completely dishonorable. He's scum. We had nothing to do with it. And the fact that he slit his own throat instead of being taken and clearly, sh- you know, scum. It's, Darsh did a good thing by wiping him out. They're like, we have no problems. He's dishonorable. He is not one of us. And Darsh explains, yes, I'd heard this as well. An assassin, and he'd, he'd been here, and it was potentially trying to cause problems within, the, with, between the humans and the Mentors, because this group of assassins don't like that. They're you know, working out together, and they thought the problem was going to be in Paxwell. He goes, I apologize. Had I thought he was going to be problems here, I would have sent something sooner. Everything I had been led to believe is that he was trying to cause problems in Paxwell, uh, but clearly this is not the case. My friend here, Dandy, noticed the difference, had mentioned something earlier, we couldn't find him, but she saw what was going on, made me aware of it, and immediately we did what we had to do to step in and save the princess's life. Shannon says, this is a lot of stuff going on. A lot of things have happened. This is the end of tonight's festivities. People will go there and send everybody home. mentors go back to the inn you're staying at. You will stay there until we come, until we send for you. You know, your house arrest kind of thing. I understand, I believe you, but we've got to check things out. He says to their friends, you just saved the king. I don't have a lot of concern that you just killed that guy in front of everybody and your friend's just saved his life. So, at this point, I'm going to believe what you're saying, but you're also under, you know, house arrest. I want you to return to your rooms until otherwise, until you know, till we get this sorted out. And they say, what do we do about the dagger? Tobias steps up. So he goes, "I'll take it." He goes, "That is not, that is not a good dagger. That does not need to be in someone's hands. The mages should take that. We can see to it that it doesn't be put in. It's not put in a position where it can hurt somebody again." And Shana nods and. Tobias goes up and he pulls up out of a bag a, a piece of cloth and it's kind of shimmery. And he lays it across the dagger. He casts some type of spell on it. And then he goes down and he picks up the, the sheet and he clearly has wrapped it around it and he wraps it up tighter, binds it, and then puts it in a bag. He's basically trapping the magic within the sheet of, of magic. It's a magic spell that we've created in the game. If anybody who likes specifics about how the spell works, let me know. But it's a temporary spell of nullification. It'll nullify the effects of a magic item based on how powerful that item is versus the caster and the type of cloth that they use. So, a spell of temporary nullification. Won't last forever. If there's magic inside trying to get out, it will eat away at that spell and eventually get out. So it's a temporary binding. Uh, Tobias has that. It was Tobias created the spell. And it's his thing thingamabobber. So he takes the dagger. As for the Minotaur, like, what do we do with that? And the other mentor just goes, "Burn it." He goes, "This should not be buried in a way." He goes, "He doesn't doesn't deserve any type of honorable burial. Burn it, throw it in the sea, do with it what you want." But it's trash. The Mentor spits. You know, mentor spits really big. It's like a huge loogie. It's gross. Then he walks off to take his. Few leaders that were there back to the rest of the Minotaur. Because now, you know, imagine there's 20 Minotaurs in an inn that just got surrounded by a bunch of human guards. There could be problems. <laughs> so he has to go back and be like, make sure we don't kill all of you. We make sure we're following what's going on. But he stops and he pats Darshan on the arm and he goes, Good fight. Well done. This is an older guy. And just kind of smiles and walks out. For the rest of the evening, the companions are. Pretty much in the room later that night, Shana shows up and she says, "We've we've checked everything. We've done. And we can't find anyone else that was in league with him. We've talked to everybody, and, and, and at this point, we're going to take the story as it stands. Everything you've told us fits with what we've seen, um, and at this point, the king sees your actions as saving his daughter's life and not putting people in danger. Uh, and for that, that's the air. That's because in Thorman." Son or daughter, it doesn't matter. The eldest takes takes the heir, and it's the only heir, so it's not like there's another heir that's teamed up. Um, you almost, you know, we almost lost the king's only heir, on a bloodline that goes back hundreds of years. Uh, you kept that from happening, and that means a lot. Um, so the king would, you know, is is fine with continuing with everything we talked about in the chambers, trusting everyone to do what they've done. But this was a side threat that has been dealt with. Should it need to be spoken of, we will speak of it again in the future. But at this point, we're going to trust in everybody and everything that they promised, both you, the Minotaurs, Kroniar, and we're going to move forward with this because we still need your help. All of this is just in the way of the bigger picture, and that's to stop that undead army. Party is happy to hear this. Like, Thank goodness this was a problem, but I'm glad we can move past this there's a much bigger threat coming that was almost drowned out by some internal strife that could have been way, way worse had Craig the Minotaur been successful. But the night goes through and everybody rests, and then the next morning, everyone gets their gear and packs up and begins out to try to find the source and stop an army of undead marching upon the kingdom of Thorn. And that is where we will call it for the day that's a good stopping point we've been running about two and a half hours today um, we did just, it doesn't feel like we moved a lot but I, today was a, a lot about story uh, and setting up things for the future so there's a lot of a lot of that so hopefully you guys found today's episode to be enjoyable um, I tried to move away from the specifics of combat as much I found that listening to some of the older stories I was getting a little bit too detailed and the fights were taking a little bit too long so I uh, to explain. I still will have some fights like that, because they're important, but the little ones, I'm going to just kind of explain the outcome and key points of it. Um, but, that's a good stopping point for today. Uh, so, where are we? So, two weeks from now, we will have episode 16 of Merge Worlds. Uh, for those of you who listen to the audio podcast, again, I apologize that it was... Um, The last couple episodes are not up there yet. Um, I actually have an extra day off this week. uh, So Tuesday I'm going to really put a ton of time into getting that back up there, so all the missing episodes. This one and the previous two that are not on iTunes will be up there. I'm also still really working to get it on Spotify. That's also a goal I have for this week, so if I can get that up there, I will post that out as well. So uh, please, if you haven't already, please join up to the Only Draven Gaming Discord channel. You can find a link to that at the top of my website, OnlyDraven.com, where you'll also find a link to all the previous episodes. You'll find a link to the audio podcast. If you don't have iTunes and would like to listen to You can stream them directly from my website. you also find my streaming schedule, which right now says May. I'm going to fix that tonight. So by tomorrow morning, the right schedule will be up. I apologize for the delay there. A lot going on this week. Um, And what else? you also find the ODG Store. The only Draven Gaming Store has a whole bunch of new merchandise on it. Like we've tripled in stuff over the last couple of weeks. Uh, We have the new Draven's Dragons Lines, which is the name of those people who are members. Two brand new members. Two new Draven's Dragons this week. Shadowcast and Zero Cool. Thank you again very much for joining up for that. And thank you, Asuka Langley Soryu, hope I pronounced that correctly, for the follow. I appreciate it. Uh, but you'll find a lot of cool merch there, uh, like the Merge World merch I'm wearing right now. Uh, we've got the new um, ODG... Pride stuff is up. Uh, we've got a Pride lineup for Pride Month, so we've got that on there as well. Uh, although a lot of half of the Pride stuff is going to stay on there permanently, some of it's just for Pride Month. Uh, but uh, some of it's going to be up there all the time. So if you're not able to get to it this month, it will be there. Uh, anybody who's an Only Draven's dragon? Uh, you guys get a 10% discount. You can find out the code for that on the members-only post in the Discord channel. So if you'd like to get anything from the store, there is a discount code. If you can't find it, please reach out to myself or one of the uh, moderators, and we'll be sure to get that to you for your order. Um, what else? Uh, tomorrow night is Minecraft Monday. We'll be continuing Sky Factory th- uh, Advanced Dungeons and & Dragons and Spaceships. It's the mod pack I'm playing right now. So it's got some fantasy elements to it and questing like in Dungeons and & Dragons and some cool Dungeons and Dragons like Monsters. And it also has space shuttles to go to the moon and do Galacticraft stuff. So it's a good mixture of fantasy and sci-fi. It's been a really fun pack. Come by and check that out. Tuesday night, I think we may have a special stream. Uh, I took the day off, as I mentioned. I'm not sure what it's going to be yet. It might be something out of the normal. I may just throw a completely different game up there for fun. Um, but it will be uh, special because it is National Bill & Ted's Day as we know our Lord Keanu is Ted Theodore Logan it is this time more than any other in the world I can't say that the message of be excellent to each other is probably needed the most and to step aside from cheesy there's a lot of crap going on in the world right now and fortunately there's a lot of really awesome positive change going out there uh, the best advice I can give you is be excellent to each other and hold people to the same requirement be excellent to people and make sure that other people are being excellent to people. If people are not being excellent then it's the job of the rest of us to step up speak out and make sure that they are being treated the way that they should be. So um, we're going to do something special for Bill and Ted Day. Again, don't know what we're going to stream yet. Uh, we will take a look but keep an eye out for that. I'll have some more time up with that, that there. I think that's everything that I've covered. I think I didn't miss anything. So again if you enjoyed the stream today please click like if you haven't subscribed please do so. Click the Join button to find out about the ODG membership, and you too can be one of Draven's Dragons. Tons of perks that come along with that. Everything's listed there. But we're going to call that a day for this stream, because I keep on rambling. And hopefully I will see you again tomorrow. Thank you all very much for coming by and letting me share my story with you. Uh, Special thanks, as always, to my members. Uh, you guys help me keep the lights on and keep everything running. And an extra special thanks to my moderators for helping me make everything work correctly. <laughs> so, thank you all very much for coming by. It has been an awesome evening. Thank you. I hope you all have yourselves a great day. We'll see you soon.